a journey on a luxurious train, a complex murder, 13 suspects, and the world's greatest detective. All of this can only mean one thing. We're comparing murder on the Orient Express on this episode of Retro vs. Remake. Reggie Parker. And I'm Dan Bulick. Welcome to another episode of Retro, Retro versus, versus Remake. Remake. Let's see how that came out. This is the series where we compare films and their remakes. Join us as we answer the question, should this remake exist? Today's films are Murder on the Orient Express. We'll start with the original, which was made in 1974, starring Albert Finney, Lauren Bacall, Martin Balsam, Ingrid Bergman, Jacqueline Bissett, Jean-Pierre Cassel, Sean Canary, Sean Gilgood, Wendy Hiller, Anthony Perkins, Vanessa Redgrave, Rachel Roberts, Richard Widmark, Michael York, Colin Blakely, George Caloris, and Dennis Quilly. Directed by Sidney Lumet, screenplay by Ball Den, and music by Richard Rodney Bennett. Okay. Murder on the Orient Express 2017, starring Kenneth Branagh, Penelope Cruz, Judy Dench, Willem Dafoe, Johnny Depp, Josh Gad, Derek Jacoby, Leslie Odom Jr., Michelle Pfeiffer, Daisy Ridley, Tom Bateman, Marwan Kanzari, Olivia Coleman, Lucy Boynton, Manuel Garcia Rilfo, and Sergi Palunin. Directed by Kenneth Branagh. Screenplay by Michael Green, and music by Patrick Doyle. And both of these movies are, of course, based on the 1934 novel by Agatha Christie. There have been also many TV adaptations of Murder on the Orient Express. I just wanted to bring up that there is a whole series on Poirot and his uh, adventures, and he's starring uh, David Schuett, uh, who we know from the In-Laws remake as our, our, our villain in that movie. So uh, he's Poirot. <laughs> elsewhere so i thought that was pretty that's interesting pretty cool. little tidbit all right so that's the gist of both films of huge casts we'll get into that but reggie what is your first experience with either film first experience with either film is for this podcast typically when it comes to movies like this where i know that there's a book series i actually try to read the book before i actually watch the film just because uh in general the books tend to be better than movies <laughs> and i don't want to ruin a good book for myself so uh Great suggestion, by the way, on your part, because I, I did get a chance to read the full novel before uh, getting into this, and I was able to kind of compare and contrast the two films. Awesome. Yeah, like I said before, I had um, been reading a few Agatha Christie books lately on the suggestion of my wife, and uh, I got to order on the Orient Express, and I kind of like to do that thing where after I read the book, I'm going to reward myself by watching the movie. So I did watch the remake after I read the novel recently, but I had not watched the original until doing it for this series. All right. Well, they are very similar films. Uh, oddly enough, though, the names are different, so my synopsis is going to kind of just glaze over some of that stuff. Sure. But here we go. Hercule Poirot is the world's greatest detective. He must return to London by train. On a ferry to the train station, he runs into Mary Debenham and Arbutnot, who speak of something being over soon. 
At the train station, Poirot runs into his friend, the director of the train, and he gets Poirot a cabin even though the train is oddly full. There is a large assortment of passengers. Mrs. Hubbard, Mary Debenham, Arbutnot, Princess Dragomiroff, her maid Hildegard Schmidt, Ratchet, his secretary Hector McQueen, and his older valet, Countess Andrenyi and her husband Count Andrenyi, Hardman, conductor Pierre Michael, a car tycoon, and a missionary. The train gets stopped by a snowbank and must stop temporarily. During this craziness, it is discovered that Ratchet is killed. With pleading from his friend, uh, Poirot takes the case to solve who did it. He uncovers Ratchet is really gangster Cassetti. He was responsible for the kidnapping and murder of a Daisy Armstrong, the infant child of a wealthy family. The result of this crime led to the mother, Sonia Armstrong, to give birth prematurely and ultimately die. Her husband, Colonel Armstrong, then committed suicide, and the maid who was falsely accused of the crime killed herself too. Poirot finds various clues like a button, pipe cleaner, handkerchief, burned letter, kimono, and uniform. He also interviews the passengers one by one. The more he interviews people, the more he realizes that people were lying about their identity, and everyone has a connection with this Armstrong incident. Ultimately, he comes up with two solutions. Either an outside man came and did it, and then fled, or every one of the passengers committed the crime. Solution two is what really happened, but rather than punishing these people for their vengeance, he ultimately decides to tell authorities it was an outside man. The end. So like we said, very similar. Some of the names are different. I didn't go into every character because then the synopsis would take forever. We'll get into the characters when we compare the characters. But I think we should start with one character, and of course that is our main character, Hercule Poirot. And in the original film, he's portrayed by Albert Finney, and in the remake, he's portrayed by Kenneth Branagh. All right, where do you want to start with this comparison? Just starting this off, I think the uh, the original film, to me, feels like it picks up more where the book does, in terms of we really don't know much about Prado. We know he's like a famous detective, but we're not really privy to any of his previous experiences, um, and we just pick up with him, more or less, getting on a ferry to get on the train. That's not as interesting to describe, so let's, <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the remake. The remake gives us this interesting sort of, what would you say, like side quests? <laughs> you know, I always like... Yeah, like he's finishing up another case. Well, first, before he finishes up the case, we get introduced to his weird quirkiness, where he's like obsessed over finding eggs that are exactly the same, yeah. where like people all over this village or area are just trying to get him two perfect eggs and it's like this big deal <laughs> so it's weird the eggs come into play a little bit later but you know he's just a very particular man so we're introduced to this bizarre quality trait and then it turns out we're in jerusalem at the wailing wall and then a rabbi a priest and an imam <laughs> it, you know as the joke goes <laughs> they're all accused of stealing this relic and uh we're introduced to Poirot doing what he does, um, making deductions, finding the small clues, and solving the case. Mm -hmm. And uh, we get a little action here as well. Yeah, I think that that's, that's a key difference between our Poirots and this, these films. One, that we do get to see him in action quite a bit more in this remake. And in general, and we'll talk about it as we go through, the remake has more action, which you know mm -hmm. can be appreciated. Can now, you know, We'll see where we land. Um, yeah. I think I think it's a good point that you point out the the egg thing because uh, they they start with the eggs being different sizes and they they follow up with him stepping in shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. And uh, you know 
You it know, is not uh, the, uh, you know, it is the unbalance. Yeah. So he he does it again. <laughs> right. So what I can appreciate about that is they're giving us some sort of background as to why Poirot is kind of a cut above your average investigator, detective, whatever you want to call it. Um, he notices the small things. He knows the small things, and when things are out of place, it really bothers him. It's kind of like a gift and a curse for him. Mm-hmm. But like uh, we notice that it helps him with this, the priest, the imam, and the, the rabbi, which is none of those guys have hard shoes. Wait a minute, this wall where the thing was stolen, someone must have done it with a boot. Boot, the inspector, the inspector. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, we get to see the pro- process, and we get to see him be pretty clever. Like he sends a guard to the south wall. He mm-hmm. puts his cane in the wall. Seemingly for no reason, and it all kind of ties back in um, when the foolish inspector hires the best detective in the world <laughs> to cover up his own crime. Just genius. <laughs> I do appreciate this world building that's happening and building out this character. Um, again, I have no frame of reference for any other of uh, Agatha Christie's works, and you know if he gets expanded out like that. But uh, from mm-hmm. what I know from Murder on the Callous Coach or Murder on the Orient Express, <laughs> they, they don't go that deep into it. So I think that this was a choice, and that happens quite a bit throughout this remake. This was a choice mm-hmm. to sort of give us background, give us action. And it, overall, I would say I found it pretty, pretty interesting. I, I didn't think it was time to really be a purist about what's in the book, because I can treat this as its own separate story before yeah. we get into you know, the main line. Yeah, I didn't mind getting a little more action in the beginning of the film. I mean, we're going to be on a train for the pretty good portion of the movie. There's not much action you can really do on a really tight train. So, you know, rope people in with a little bit of action. It's not the most exciting sequence, but, you know, like you said, it really just shows, like, Perot's thought process. Like, he was able to know to put a guard there. Let's put this cane in here. It's all going to come into play, and then you're going to see him a genius. So we get a little action. We get a little insight to Perot's thinking. And like you mentioned, he was talking to a guard, just going about, like, I see the world as it should be, and when it's not, then I could start to solve these clues. So we get a little more insight with him there, too. So it's, it's a pretty solid introduction, I'd say, in the remake. Absolutely. Whereas in the the original, we get more of a kind of like oddball, you yeah. know, like this guy. He's, he's he's very unassuming at first, right? Yeah, he's he's a, he's a strange character, and uh, you definitely don't get the world's greatest detective vibe from him right away. You don't get it from him almost like a lot of the movie. I would say <laughs> he's you, you do get that kind of like uh, that's he's I don't know not necessarily snobbery, but he's very particular as well. But it doesn't come across as, I guess, charming as he does in the remake. He'll say something, and he has like this very serious face <laughs> on the whole time, as opposed to the remake Poirot, where he's definitely like has a, like kind of a smirk or just just a levity to him. Poirot in the original, it's pretty serious for most of the movie. Yeah, Albert Finney plays it pretty pretty straight. Like, you know, he has embodied the character. This is true, but without us getting a lot of background into him, you know, all we get like you mentioned, are these sort of odd moments. Like, he's on the ferry, he's kind of seasick, you know. There's nothing spectacular about him, at least not that we know of, until, like you mentioned, a little bit later in the film. But, you know, we get a bit of his eccentricities, kind of eccentric outfits. He likes to 
eat desserts and think. Uh, you know, th- these are the types of things they chose to highlight versus <laughs> versus his uh, extreme sort of intellect. And mm-hmm. I think that it does help in the sense that he can be sort of underestimated throughout the film. And I think that allows him to sort of operate in a way maybe the, the other Poirot portrayal can't. But, I mean, ultimately it all ends up kind of being the same thing either way. It comes down to your style preference. I would say... Yes, it's truer to the book, but mm-hmm. it's a movie, so, you know, s- style points are important. Yeah. I'd say we also spend a little bit more time with Poirot in the remake. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a lot more quiet moments that we just get him kind of by himself. We find out about Catherine in the remake. Definitely doesn't happen in the book. He's just his lost love, I guess you could call her. Sure. He's just with her, her picture a couple of times, like even like asking her for help. <laughs> like, I don't know how to solve this case. So you get to see a vulnerable Poirot, mm-hmm. which you definitely don't see in the original film. You don't really know anything about his life outside of the events that's really happening in the original film. Yeah, you get that range. That's the word I'm looking for here. I think we get that range. You get mm-hmm. to see Poirot in action in a remake. You get to see him vulnerable, like you mentioned. He's got a backstory. Yeah. He carries a gun around sometimes, you know, and he's willing to use it, potentially. So there's just so much more Kenneth gets to do with his portrayal. Yeah. That Albert Finney really doesn't, and honestly, a lot of times when he's not actively solving the case, even he's getting played to like comedic effect. Like he gets up multiple times throughout the night, <laughs> like he's trying to go back to sleep, and he's got to turn the light mm-hmm. back on and figure out who's out in the hallway. And what that does is it does again, it's more authentic into the point of the book in some ways, but at the same time, sometimes that is not that interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's where Finney's portrayal kind of falls off like you mentioned we don't know much about him other than that he can solve the case in a remake we get to we get to see a lot a lot of shades of poro yeah i don't even know if we see him like laugh or anything in the original film he's very serious maybe a little bit but uh not too much he doesn't really get too many i guess comedic moments that, that i really recognize there's one cool moment uh, albert finney gets in the original where uh, he's moving the dogs of the princess and then he hands them off to somebody and then as he pets hands them off he's just slightly pets them i just thought that was a little quirky thing yeah. like, oh, i can't just hand them the dogs i have to pet them too um so he gets like little things here and there but i think uh like i said because he's kenneth uh brano is just more portrayed more in that remake so they just do more with Poirot. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like you said, that range, we just get a lot more uh, range of emotions and just random things. Like he's reading Dickens to himself and just laughing like a, like a silly schoolboy. Oh, 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 that Dickens. You know, just little things like that sprinkled uh, here and there in the remake. And uh, I just find him like overall just the more charming yeah. of the two. A little warmer. Like when Poirot would like insult somebody in the original, it's just like, damn, that's just a fucking insult, man. <laughs> but like, you know, he does it like uh, more with jest mm-hmm. in the remake. So he's not really just digging into you. He's just being like playful like he does with his friend Monsieur Book. <laughs> he's like, you are not going to go far, far in life, my friend. <laughs> you know, shit like yeah. that. So he's, he's more playful. Um, and like you said, a whole, just a whole range of emotions and yeah. things from Poirot in the remake. Yeah, it's, it's more it's more endearing. In the original, I guess, like like you said, there's not even that many funny things that happen. I guess when he starts kind of eating a dessert, that's sort of funny. But, you know, yeah. nothing too over the top, really, in, in my opinion. So, yeah, and, and even the moments where the original movie has, like, kind of set pieces, like Perot's kind of funny night sort of setup with the mustache thing, they go even yeah. bigger in the remake. 
Yeah. Because <laughs> it's just like a hairnet in the original, but in like the remake, it's like this custom-made mustache-fitting, yeah. uh, I don't know, garment, we'll call it. Um, so yeah, it's pretty absurd. And we didn't even compare the mustaches. I think we have to compare yeah, the mustaches we, here. We, we it's do. a very defining trait. And, uh, you know, Albert Finney's got a pretty good, decent, you know, I don't know what you call the money bags yeah. <laughs> mustache going on there with nice, nice and curly in the end. It's not huge. I, I don't want to keep comparing it to the book, but in the book it's described as this huge mustache. It's mm. one of his defining features. And they definitely defined it in the remake because it's like, it's sort of more like the book because it's sort of like a double mustache. I don't even know what the fuck that yeah, is. Yeah, I don't know. But, <laughs> but he pulls it off in the remake because it's like, it's like long um, on one like in the front, like under his nose, and then it's like to the sides, and then underneath that, there's like more of his facial hair. So it's it's pretty uh, character defining. Like, yeah. okay, that guy, <laughs> look at that guy, look at that guy's mustache. Uh, can't miss it. Uh, only one guy has it. It's uh, pretty impressive in the remake. And there it is, and that that comes full circle. It's uh it's a definition. He, he's a defined character. Like you said, we we get his joking nature, and his jokes actually come back into play in action too. So whether it's putting the cane in the wall. That ends up being funny because, you know, why was that there? Well, now we know why that was there. When uh, he meets Monsieur Balk for the first time. And uh, it's like, this is a prostitute. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, he's... So, yes, he's, but he's very polite. He doesn't yes. like, oh, you're just a prostitute. He's like, it was a pleasure to meet you, madame. Or, you know? Yeah, because like, even when he just calls her a prostitute, she's like, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's it's fun. It's fun. So um, I, think, I think we're obviously both leaning towards... The uh, the remake, Kenneth mm -hmm. uh, Branagh, his Perot, just more defined, more charming, more action. You know, he he helps carry quite a bit more of the film versus the original. Where Albert, Albert mm -hmm. Finney, I think, he does his job, and I think we really get to see him in action at the end of the film, yeah. which is cool. But you know, he gets a lot more assistance throughout the film from other actors. Yeah, I think we'll um, go into that as we just compare the other characters, just because he does get a lot more screen time in the remake it is going to take away from some of our other characters yeah. in the remake and i guess bonus points for directing the movie too <laughs> yeah <laughs> good on him all right i mean unless you have anything else to add we might just add it later when we start doing other characters but i think we can go on to the next yeah, character absolutely all right so our next character we're going to stay away from the suspects for a bit let's do ratchet aka cassetti in the original he is portrayed by Richard Widmark, and in the remake, he's portrayed by Johnny Depp. A small role in both films, our villain, who gets murdered, uh, but you get slightly different portrayals. Like you mentioned, they both both have a small role. I'll, I'll say this because I think what jumps out to me, just like you said, Poirot looks like what you'd expect more in the remake. I'm going to say the same thing about the remake Cassetti, like, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the kind of beady eyes, the... Uh, the rough face like they even give Johnny Depp a few scars and things like that that we get mm -hmm. to see Johnny Depp to me just from first looking at him I was like oh yep that's that's the bad guy there's <laughs> there's, there's Cassetti right there and Widmark he in through his acting I see kind of the uh the tough sort of bad guy portrayal but um I think he has to actually kind of start talking I think the way they frame Johnny Depp in the movie his outfit his manner of dress it looks different than everyone else. You can tell he has like mm -hmm. these American origins and stuff like that. Um, yeah. He looks like an Italian gangster and he's played that role before, uh, you know, looking at something like Public Enemies or something like that. So Johnny Depp knows how to play a mobster and 
he plays this one really well, which is subtle, which is he mm-hmm. was a mobster that's trying to kind of play it down, but that little bit of uh, darkness is still in him. We're, mm-hmm. we're, yeah, it keeps creeping up. Yeah, he can't fully like get rid of it. He can't fully mask the fact that he used to be a gangster. It's pretty obvious to you, the viewer, and it's definitely obvious to Poirot. Whereas Widmark, I think, they're both mean, but I think Widmark gets to just kind of be more of a dick <laughs> to the people that, <laughs> that work for him. We get to see that yeah. in action quite a bit more. And yeah, I was going to say, um, Johnny Depp, I guess he just, I guess just by his facial expressions, he just looks like a bad guy. You, He's kind of a dick to the guys that work for him, but he's definitely more of a dick in the original film where he's just like kind of unleashing on yeah. uh, his valet. He's just like, well, you come on, just, what you, I'm not going to eat it now, just put it over there. It's like, Jesus, man, like, calm down a little bit. So he is a little more, I'd say Richard Widmark's performance, like I don't get gangster vibes at all from him. It wasn't until he's like sort of a dick in his private quarters to his uh, employees that I was like, okay, this yeah, I'm seeing more of that villain. But he's very unassuming. Um, I wouldn't peg him for a gangster <laughs> at all just by looking at him. Uh, but yeah, to your point, Johnny Depp definitely like has that without going over the top with it for yeah. sure. He definitely definitely subdued, and there's yeah. almost a charm to him. Um, when he's alone with Mrs. Hubbard, he's just like trying to, he's like, hey, <laughs> what are you doing on this train? A little bit, and then she just shoots him down right away. So, um, yeah, interesting performances, for sure. Definitely, and for Depp, you know, going with that, he's a little out of his depth in his new profession. They both mm-hmm. are, but, like, it's it's more apparent, and you can kind of see it, where it's like, yes, he's able to pull off maybe being more of a gentleman on paper, but then... He doesn't know anything about antiques, which neither of them do. But, like, I don't know. Johnny's just, he's selling it. I think that's really what it comes yeah. down to. Johnny Depp is selling it in the look. I think it was very smart for them to choose the facial features with the the light scarring. I thought it was very smart, the accent that he affected. It felt mm-hmm. more like um, a guy that had, like, sort of Italian mob, you know, background. Mm-hmm. Now on this, this train where it's like, for Widmark, it just felt like, you know, kind of gruff American. And I think mm-hmm. it wasn't quite what I pictured in the book. And I think Johnny was closer to what I imagined. Yeah. And he also, in the remake, I don't think this is done in the original. Like, he's still, like, running into, like, <laughs> like mafia, kind of. Like, he, he, like, sold some art to some Italians that wasn't exactly legitimate. And then he's, like, still <laughs> doing that shit. It's like, even though he's an art dealer now, he, he's so terrible at being an art dealer. He just goes right back into his mobster ways, even if he's just dealing art. Yeah, it's a really fun portrayal, I think, for uh, Johnny Depp. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that, though, because I will say this. The deviation of him kind of defining his enemy was different from the book. Like you mentioned, like, he's specifically worried about, like, a mobster that he sold bad art or antiques to. Mm-hmm. So I understand the choice. I think the choice was to show a plausible reason why he would try to hire Perot versus like the original where it's just like, I just want to because I'm nervous about these letters. Because mm-hmm. that's also sort of backtracked by the fact that he's not that worried about the letters if you really like read into it because they're, they're fake <laughs> kind of. So I think Johnny, again, is selling it more. And even though there is this deviation here by defining a plausible enemy and maybe taking us the viewer off the scent a little bit with that. I would prefer those small deviations with what we get out of the character versus kind of sticking to the script, but not really being wowed by, uh, by Widmark's portrayal. It was fine, but it wasn't, you know, it just didn't, it didn't read as to what I thought the character was supposed to be. Yeah. 
I mean, it might just be because I'm more familiar with Johnny Depp, but it's more memorable what Johnny Depp did. Widmark, I can't even, like... I'm trying to just even think of his face right now. And I'm just kind of drawing a blank. I know he's an old guy, gray hair, but he doesn't really have... I guess he doesn't really just have as much yeah. to do as Johnny Depp does. He would, he would have been great just the way he looked. He would have been great as old general or something like that, you know, or, you know, an old detective. Like, I don't, I don't get mobster. I just don't. I just don't. Yeah. And Johnny Depp, I get immediately. Yep. That guy's in the mob. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like I said, um, Widmark, he, he was fine. But, you know, when we're making character comparisons and something that, you know, whenever you have some tides to the source material, you're looking for those little subtle nods towards the book and, you know, someone's trying to portray that. And so far, we're two for two in the remake in terms of the lead and the villain. So uh, I'm leaning towards Johnny Depp, too. Yeah, same. I really don't have much to add to that, though, because um, it is a very brief. Uh, I mean, it's a very sh- small character. Like, I mean, yeah, he sets things in motion, but he really doesn't have a lot of screen time because he does die pretty early <laughs> and they don't do a lot of flashbacks. So there's not really much to compare. But I guess with what little screen time each actor did have Johnny Depp just was able to do more. Sure. Um, yeah. Well, one more character before we get to all our suspects. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So we're going to compare the director of the trains. Uh, he has a different name in the original. It's Bianchi as opposed to Buch or Boch, uh, which is what he was called in the book. So we have Martin Balsam portraying Bianchi in the original and Tom Bateman portraying Buch in the remake. Okay. So this is the director of the train, friends with Poirot, uh, very different portrayals. And I think we need to start again where we started with Poirot, just their introduction to both of these characters. Sure. We'll start with the original. The original is kind of more in line with what you would sort of expect from the film, which is, you know, Poirot sitting down to dinner and then, oh, it's my old friend Poirot. And, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty much it, you know, and he's making sure that things are to his liking because ultimately he's running the... Uh, the train, he's an influential guy. He, he wants to show his friend a good time in the way that he does it is by kind of like pushing his weight around as the train director. He's saying, mm-hmm. hey, what's up with this meal? You know, like, let's go, let's go. And uh, I appreciate the portrayal. It feels, again, having read the book source material, to me, he felt more like what I was expecting from Boop, mm-hmm. even though for some yeah. reason his name isn't Boop. <laughs> yeah, a change I don't understand, but that's what we have in the original Bianchi. Yeah, a very different portrayal than I expected just because he is different in the book. First off, he's much closer to Poirot in age. Mm-hmm. And uh, Book in the remake is much younger. So I'll just get into his introduction. So it's not while Poirot is dining. Poirot is like in the kitchen, just like <laughs> observing, like Hi. appreciating fine bakeries. Like, you no, know, with so much destructive and terrible things in the world, this is what life is about. <laughs> just and again, showing off his weird quirkiness sure. and things he appreciates. And then we're introduced to a man with a prostitute, <laughs> a young man with a prostitute, just looking for a place to go for 20 minutes. And uh, immediately, uh, Poirot is like, oh, my friend, Monsieur Bouc. So they meet each other again, and uh, Poirot is able to deduce that the woman he's with is a prostitute. It's a very funny, charming scene. Yeah. Um, and you do see the, the respect that Bouc has for Poirot, because like, he's, he's with this prostitute, right? And he, you know, he's... I'm assuming he's paid for her business and he wants to get stuff done. But like, as soon as he finds out that Poirot needs to get on a train, he's like, all right, hold on a second. Yep. Sorry, <laughs> we're going to go. I'm going to go take care of my friend now. So 
very different. Yeah, I did not expect him to be like that at all in the and, remake. And you know, although that scene isn't what we're expecting either, that scene reinforces Poirot because they're prostitutes. Like, holy shit, you're friends with Poirot. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, like, the international renown is uh, more apparent to me in the remake. And again, mm-hmm. with him being an internationally renowned detective, I appreciate that. That's <laughs> that being reinforced. Although I, I really, um, this is the one time where I'm thinking I, I like the actor and I like what he's doing, but I, I don't get how it, it doesn't feel right. You know, the original actor feels like what I'm expecting. Someone closer to his age, someone, and we see it throughout the film that jumps to conclusions. And, yes. <laughs> and that's more in line with, again, I'm fresh off a of read, more in line of what I was expecting. The guy was like, it's the Italian guy. It's the fucking lady did it. You know, maybe it was that dude. And like, yeah, that that's kind of what I was expecting versus, mm-hmm. well, Bianchi's reaction as Book. Right. Versus the actual Book who like, I don't know, like there's some of that, but I felt he was kind of more along for the ride. He kind of falls off, in my opinion, from that initial interaction. And then yeah. after that, he kind of turns into exposition. Yeah, I would I don't agree with you there. Um Book in the remake, his introduction, it's a great introduction, a very memorable introduction, but after that, yeah, he doesn't really have much to do. He's just he's just kind of there. He does have a little conversation with Paro here and there, um just to help us just hear what Paro is thinking and where he's coming with the case. Mm-hmm. But um Nothing comes close to his introduction, which is why I think, like, his character just kind of, like, falls off for you. But, like, going to what Bianchi did, you know, he's more true to the book, but is he a better character? Because, yeah, he has those funny moments where he's, like, agreeing with, oh, yeah, it's definitely them. Oh, no, 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 it's definitely her. No, it's definitely him. You know, some funny beats, which Mm -hmm. happened in the book. But he doesn't do it all the time. Right. And then even, like, Dr. Constantine starts doing it instead of him. So it's like, wait, wait, that's not your shtick. Right. That's, that's the other guy's shtick. Don't, don't steal his only thing. You know, I thought it was more true to the book, but I still think that introduction was just so much more memorable. Sure. It just seems like a much more fun character, because I can't really remember much of what Bianchi does other than those funny beats. Right. And maybe he gets to decide at the end, like, who's going to get convicted here, which does happen in the book but we'll get into that when we talk about the endings yeah it's it's again and i think that this theme is going to permeate throughout this episode it's again it's a choice where i think book kind of recedes into the background in the remake it's because and we'll get into this there's supposed to be kind of like another character there as well Mm -hmm. and there in the book there's a little more dialogue between the three characters whereas book again being sort of younger i didn't take him as I mean, in no way in either film, but like, uh, is this true? But I really didn't take him as Perot's equal. Like, they're friends, Mm -hmm. but, you know, Perot's doing all the thinking, mostly. And Book is just kind of like, who knows? Without that sort of back-and-forth dialogue, he does fade into the background. But to your point, yeah, we're getting more Bianchi. I hate saying (laughs) that. We're getting more of him, but he's not doing anything. He's not even, like, thinking. Like, I felt in the book he... Even though he was wrong about things, he seemed to be thinking better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, you know, really trying to come to a conclusion. And when he realized that, you know, he had his preconceived sort of ideas of who it would be, but he was open to actively thinking about the case. Whereas this guy just seems to be like, aha, it's the, the next person we <laughs> talk to. So, yeah. 
because one they change his name and they kind of get away from some of the character portrayal i'm with you i'm i'm still leaning towards this remake because look entertainment is the name of the, the day today, <laughs> you know uh bateman's book is just he, he's entertaining and his name is book <laughs> yeah and he also has like another scene um when he's giving drinks to everybody compliments of the orient express and he's giving one to the missionary and then she's like uh it does not agree with you and when she says no and he's like she's like no i do not believe in the ways of sin and whatever and he's like okay and we will never talk again <laughs> the rest of the drink. you know he's got he's got some good funny moments Absolutely. that aren't just like so reactionary as uh bianchi is in the original so uh like we use this word a lot he seems to have a little more agency mm-hmm. so uh yes. he's a more memorable character seems like a more fun character and even though he does kind of get lost in the fold towards the later half of the movie i, I still think uh a more memorable of the two yeah and now that i'm thinking about it too he's a l- he does have more, in my opinion, he kind of has more stakes, it feels like. Like, he really doesn't want this kind of, like, bad news to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, he does help us move along, like, when the uh, snowbank happens. He's like, ah, yeah. we're not there yet. We, They're gonna come- we're not going to do anything. <laughs> They're going to come find us, you know. So, he he's a cool character. And it actually does complement Perot in a lot of ways. Not that I was expecting from this character, but... Yeah, he's, he doesn't care. He's like, well, yeah. you got it. We'll figure it out. This guy's smart. <laughs> yeah, you see my friend Perot? <laughs> uh, I like the portrayal. I like the portrayal. Again, I think that the movie is making choices that aren't in line with the book, but they're making choices that help this movie go along. And I think they're smart choices, as I think we're going to get into, that mm-hmm. help with the flow of things. Let's yeah. just say that. Definitely. I don't have anything else to add to Bianchi and Book. So 3-0 remake so far. <laughs> but look, there's 12 other characters, so... There are. So, um, alright. I feel like we might accidentally, or I feel like we're gonna do a one-to-one, sort of, but, you know, not every character gets the same treatment. I kind of put them in an order of, sort of, importance, kind of. I think that's fair, uh, and, and honestly, where we can, because there are opportunities, let's try to take two and put them in the same conversation yeah like the sure. count and count yeah definitely i think the first character we should definitely compare is arbutnot just because in the remake he's taking the place of two characters mm-hmm. as opposed like you said before there's no dr constantine in the remake he's only in the original and he's a character from the book right. um, so we can get there so let's kind of lump all three of them together so sure. arbutnot a colonel arbutnot is portrayed by sean connery in the original and then dr arbutnot is portrayed by Leslie Odom Jr. in the remake, and then we have Dr. Constantine portrayed by George Cloris in the original. Like we said, Leslie Odom Jr. is going to take the role of both of these characters. Did you want to just start there and just like, what did you think of them getting rid of the doctor? I think, yeah, let's start there because that immediately jumped out to me having, you know, read the book. I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know how I feel Mm -hmm. about taking a character out, about making sort of like this racial implication that wasn't there before with Arvin not being black in this case. Mm-hmm. I think like historically and just based off the age, because uh, Leslie Odom to me also looks young, which I think is yeah. because, you know, we're creating a love interest. And I think for the general audience, they want it to be like a love interest you actually give a shit about. So I think that's why he skews younger. But um, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a distraction for me. I think giving him so much heavy lifting for a pretty inconsequential character is a um, interesting choice 
I think that they did it to remove the Dr. Constantine element, which uh, just let's knock this character out right now in the original. George Caloris, yeah, great. Thanks for being there. <laughs> Goofy hair. Um, he's a doctor. The guy definitely died then, and that's pretty much his only contribution. So I respect the fact that they wanted to consolidate the character mm-hmm. to streamline this remake. I don't necessarily think it was the right character to combine that with, you know, um, mm. it works, but then it, you know, it doesn't. And I, I'll say this as well. I think that making Leslie Odom sort of like his, his blackness and being in an interracial relationship sort of starts to pick up on some of the themes that are in, in the uh, book, which are, it's the 1930s in anywhere <laughs> in the world. <laughs> so, so in the original, you have more, let's, I guess racism, nationalism against Italians. There's a lot of talk about Indian people. Like there's a there's a delineation between sort of the races and the nationalities that were more apparent at that time. That's just the way people thought. And I think they tried to like show that with this character, but it, it, it didn't ring true to me because that really wasn't part of the book. So I wasn't really sure why I even go through the steps of doing that. Because once again, Arvanot ultimately is a side character, so to have him doing so much got a little money for me. I don't know about you. I mean, uh, I guess I'll start with just combining him with the Doctor. I was definitely fine with that, uh, just putting those two characters together. I definitely think having the Doctor there would be just like another character, just redundant. We already have Book. We don't need two, so I was fine with that decision. Um... Whether to make it R but not have those two characters, I was, yeah, I was kind of fine with it. Mm-hmm. I know making him black and just having that whole be a whole sort of subplot, like people talking about race a lot. I guess you just if because he is a black doctor in the 1930s, it has just has to be addressed. Like whoa, how does somebody right. so young again? He's so young too, so um, I, I it didn't really annoy me or irritate me that it was deviating from the book so much I, th- I thought it was all fine i thought what leslie did was a great portrayal and and it's sort of a sort of a red herring because where his character does go later you, he, he does kind of take a lot of the heat and you true. you think oh maybe he is the murderer because <laughs> he's about to kill poirot here so um i didn't really mind it and i thought it was fine they kind of downplayed the romance mm-hmm. i mean they definitely downplayed the romance as opposed to the original where like <laughs> Arbutnot not and mary are just like fucking necking the whole time <laughs> just right. like uh, necking what am i from the 50s yeah, sean, anyway <laughs> that's definitely a sean connery choice <laughs> i think we should be making out more um, uh so yeah i i didn't mind it and then they, they do give a pretty good explanation, like, oh, Armstrong, like, you know, he's the reason I was able to become a doctor at so young, because we were in the military together, and, you know, I admired this man, and he he just, it gave him more stakes um, with his relationship with Armstrong, to why he would want to commit this murder, and I guess be one of the top people that we kind of follow around from all these suspects. So, I was ultimately okay with it, and, I mean, Sean Connery... He did, you know, he did what Sean Connery does. He, very small role for Sean Connery. Yeah. He's barely in the film. He comes in, like, towards the later half. And then, like you said, we just see him making out with Mary a lot the whole time. So, um, you know, Sean Connery did fine, too. Leslie gets to do a little action, too. Cool. Um, so yeah, he definitely gets a lot to do from all our suspects. Again, like I said, I understand all the choices 
I think Sean Connery probably fits more of what I would expect the character to look like. But to your point, they do explain a decent amount of it. And to be able to, because there's quite a bit of shifting. I, I think that they realize that a lot of modern audiences weren't going to get being super racist against like Italians and stuff like that. <laughs> I think yeah. it's just an easier jumping off point for mm-hmm. a modern audience to just be like, oh, it's because he's black. All right, got it. You know, like that's just, <laughs> that's easy. The doctor easily disposed of, you know, I can kind of complain about like, does it make sense to throw so much at Leslie Odom Jr.? But the fact that he's able to handle it all pretty cleanly. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. Not thinking about it from what you're saying is he's able to be a red herring. He's able to show sort of the race implications of the times. Mm-hmm. He's able to have a love interest and play that really well. Borrow with Poro in different ways. He comes back as another red herring later that we'll talk about. And yeah, I can't really complain that they deviated if they did so much to sort of just clean up the plot for the movie. So yeah, another one where Sean Connery, he just did Sean Connery. You know, I think it felt kind of like a little Ocean's Eleven action where he just showed up on set. It was like, <laughs> oh, this brought over here? <laughs> it's like, yeah, that one. <laughs> All right, I mean, boy. <laughs> exactly. And like you said, we, we get so little Sean Connery, you know? Yeah, I was a little bummed because I was like, I was so excited. Ooh, this is like post-Bond. Oh, he gets to just have a little fun here. Let's see what he does. Not much. Okay. Oh, yeah. He, you know, he, just, he does fine with what he does. He has to defend Mary and make out the, with her a lot. I was a gentleman in the front lines, and uh, <laughs> you will not talk dishonorably <laughs> about Mr. Armstrong. It's just the whole thing. It's like, she's a lady. Yeah, she's I'm, not a woman. She's a lady. <laughs> and, and, Can I just do my Sean Connery the whole time? Yeah, that, that could be fun. <laughs> so many actors we could play with here. But, yeah. uh, no, Leslie uh, Odom Jr., I think he knocks it out of the park. Again, I think that, once again, I'm saying it, but the movie chose not to just one-to-one the book, and I think mm-hmm. and I think in a lot of smart ways for film. So, you know, it's like, let's consolidate, let's move things along, and we'll, we'll see this throughout. They condense some things, and we'll talk about it as we talk about some of the interviews and stuff like that. They condense mm-hmm. some things that don't need to be one-to-one to the book, because the book is trying to extend out this mystery, the movie should not try right. to do it the way the book did. So I, mm-hmm. you know, my complaints were like, it's not like the book, but there's very good reason for that. It's a different medium. Mm-hmm. And I'll just add one more thing about R, but not um, both of our movies, you know, before we're on the Orient Express, Poirot is on that boat with Mary and Arbonaut, right? So they're seemingly, they're pretty important characters, right? Because they're the first characters we're introduced to. Mm-hmm. We're going to be on the Orient Express. So what the remake does is they have Mary and Arbonaut get a little bit of a bigger role than the other passengers on the train, which I think makes sense just because you're introduced to them separately. Sure. Um, they don't have such a big role in the original film. They're definitely just other characters. Yeah. So I think it makes sense that we're introduced to them early because they are going to have sort of a bigger role throughout the whole film. So, uh, yeah, I, I do like... Um, what they did with Arbonaut, and when we talk about Mary. Um, yeah, I, there's a scene, but I think we're going to talk about it when we talk about Mary, so. Okay, I mean, should we just talk about her? Something about Mary. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, why not? It doesn't matter what order yeah. we do this in. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. All right, so we have Mary Debenham, portrayed by Vanessa Redgrave in the original, and Daisy Ridley in the remake. So this is our Mary, uh, or I should say Arbonaut's Mary. So Mary Debenham is our or governess, um, sort of the private tutor of children as she's coming back from Baghdad. 
Again, I already kind of mentioned this. Uh, she is going to have a bigger role in the remake. Like I said, we start with her and bring up that other thing you said about Perot being like infamous. Like she recognizes him as they're waiting for that boat in the remake. She's like, wait a bit, I know that mustache. She must be one Hercule. Hercule. What does he say? Hercules Perot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And then uh, everybody gets his name wrong. Hercule Poirot. And uh, do not fight yeah. the lions. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Very nice. Uh, so yeah, and then she sort of sprinkled throughout the remake. You know, Poirot goes after her pretty aggressively, and in both films, Arbutnot does come to her defense. But we just get a little bit more of her in that remake. In the original, uh, they I guess they put on this. I don't know if it's a lie to throw off the murder or mm-hmm. if it really happened, but like the whole thing about like uh, Arbutnot has a wife and right. he's trying to end that marriage, and now he's kind of secretly doing this thing with Mary until that marriage is fully dissolved. So there's m- more emphasis on the love story between those two characters. So it's really hard to kind of separate them because they are pretty much on screen together the whole time in the original as opposed to the remake where they definitely have like their own separate things going on yeah i think i think you nailed it there the original they expand on the relationship more than i think the book does to be honest um i don't even think the book even gets into anything about like ex-wives and stuff like that no again again, i think sean Connery might just be playing himself at this point (laughs) (laughs) at this point but yeah i mean like pretty much like she gets interviewed and hercule gives her a little bit more kind of pressure he doesn't lay off of her in the interviews I think this is also the character that kind of, like you mentioned, is familiar with Hercule and doesn't really, like, go for the games because, like, Hercule has a different strategy for every character. And, like, the way he goes after Mary is kind of, like, almost like reverse psychology. And she's more to the point. And that, that's mm-hmm. kind of Hercule Poirot's point is that, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go everywhere in my conversation with her because it's going to make her kind of piss. It does, and it also makes Arvinot piss. And we see Sean Connery right now. See here, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, like you said, they're they're pretty tied together. But for sort of the level of impact that they're kind of supposed to have, like you mentioned, they're introduced so early. We don't really get this early and often portrayal. Whereas in a remake, we do get that. And I think there's plenty of strong scenes of them by themselves. There's plenty of strong scenes with them together. I love the scene where uh character we'll talk about but Willem Dafoe's character comes in so Willem Dafoe he, he's got this uh interesting moment where they're all in like the stage co- coach during dinner and he's like well if I took this perfectly good red wine and I mix it with this white wine I'm gonna ruin them both black guy white lady <laughs> <laughs> and she's just like I love Daisy Ridley's move here like she just dumps it in she's like I like a rose it's like, the fuck out of my <laughs> face <laughs> racist prick which I don't think anyone here is being spoiled. Given what we know, it's a weird <laughs> interaction. Like, some of the interactions on the uh, train, given what we know about the ultimate conclusion of these films, like, why'd you do that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you all know each other. You're all friends. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> but, you know, maybe they're all putting on this great performance. Um, yeah, that's it. But, you know, Daisy Ridley, I can't... I think she, she does a good job, especially that's one of her strong scenes. She's very strong in that scene I just described. But I, I will admit that I was completely distracted because uh, I'm like, I'm just thinking about Ray and Star Wars. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. every time she was saying something, she was like, blah, 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 the droids, blah, 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 my lightsaber. 
she was doing great, but I was distracted. But uh, let's not. <laughs> I, I'm not going to take away from. In combination, those two just way better than what we saw in the original. Yeah, I, I like where, how you brought up that scene with her mixing the wine. Yeah, she definitely has some good scenes on her own, one on one, and she does have a lot of good scenes uh, with Poirot, one to one. Like you said, like he was trying to do this thing, where, like kind of beating around the bush, and she's like, you know, just get to the point, or like, are you trying to analyze my handwriting? Like she's really smart character right you know? she's not oblivious to his methods so again she has that agency and uh just, just seems like a stronger character on her own we don't really get that from her in the original film she's with R, but not i think all the time i can't remember any scenes where she's really on her own but you so uh you bring up a great point with that scene with the signature so the movie again smartly decides to instead of Instead of Perot explaining to the doctor and book what's happening with the signatures, she's like, you just want to see my signature. And it's like, mm -hmm. oh, cool. Now we know that's why he has her signing things. And instead of going back and explaining it like we do in the book, we just knock it out right here in this interview. That's great. Mm -hmm. Like, every yeah. time I see a scene like that in this remake, I'm like, you know what? I appreciate that because you were, you were respecting my time. And yeah. we, we talk about that often with these films. It's like, Please don't, don't, don't waste yeah. my time. <laughs> I mean, I, th I think overall the remake ha kind of has a better flow like that. Like, we'll, we won't kind of beat around the bush. Like, what does that mean? Like, immediately, Poirot will be like, oh, that means that. Or another character, like you said, uh, Mary is going to be like, oh, this is what this means right now. Like, we don't dwell on something too long, move on to something else, and then come back right. to it in the remake which, so often. Which, to be fair to the original, is a style of the book. But um, I think the remake handles it well. And as we're going through, so that's two characters we've already kind of gone over without really getting into too many details because the reveal, I think, will kind of expand out on all these characters once more. But um, mm -hmm. what we get here is is instead of doing the multi-interview style, they just kind of knock it out in mm -hmm. one. And I think I appreciate how they did it and where they chose to do some of the exposition, again, case in point, Daisy Ridley just saying the thing about the signature, sweet, we don't have to now watch every single person sign. Right. And, you know, we've established what that is. And the movie did that in a very smart way right there in that scene. Very true. Should we go into another character? Sure. All right. I'm thinking we should go into one of our big characters, and that's Mrs. Hubbard yeah. slash Linda Arden. Portrayed by Lauren Bacall in the original and Michelle Pfeiffer in the remake. Or Mrs. Hubbard, or Linda Arden, our mastermind. Mm. The mother of the deceased, or in the grandmother of the kidnapped Daisy. Mm. Alright. Here's, here's how I'd like to start. From a casting perspective in both films, let me give you just a quick bravo <laughs> to both films. I hesitate to to kind of give either one of them the edge um, maybe we'll come to a conclusion here but like lauren bacall and this is where we haven't really talked about this yet but like in both films these are ensemble casts these casts are right. like crazy good for the time um in the original the 1974 film and in the remake lauren bacall is a legendary actress and she gets to play a legendary actress pretending <laughs> to be somebody else and Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, you know, legend in her own right, she gets to chew up a lot of scenery. And mm -hmm. not in a bad way. Usually when you say that, it's like, oh, my God, look at this person. But, like, 
she's over the top. <laughs> she's uh, mm-hmm. throwing quips, and she's like, you know, he said 20 years or 15. You know, like, there, there's just a lot of fun interactions that we get with her. I think that Michelle Pfeiffer sort of pulls off the role of, like, moving things along a little bit better. But I think Lauren Bacall really, like, goes in her bag and goes, like, over the top stagecraft with her portrayal. I mean, they're both there, but it's a very important role Mm -hmm. that if you don't quite thread the needle with this character, your movie's going to fail. And I think that both of them are able to do their their role pretty well. But I'll say this, Lauren Bacall doesn't feel that natural to me, Um, (laughs) which, you know, makes sense given the time and like the type of actress that she was like uh, the style was very different at the time, but like. She just kind of like goes off and then she just shows up. Later. She's like, here's another thing. Here's a, here's a button. Here's a knife and it's bloody. And she's just like in the window, bloody knife. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, here's my stuff. And I'm, is this what you were looking for? <laughs> Very true. Whereas like Michelle Pfeiffer feels to me like she comes across as like, I believe her as Hubbard. Like I believe her as, yeah. as this kind of eccentric old woman who's like kind of like trying to get it you know she's like hey mr mm-hmm. perot what's up you know <laughs> um but call doesn't give me that she just gives me a uh, how could you ever speak to a woman of my mm-hmm. magnitude <laughs> and michelle does that a little bit but like uh she she's a little bit more natural in her mm-hmm. portrayal and i'm not necessarily convinced that she's the stage actress until we get the reveal mm-hmm I'll give uh, Michelle Pfeiffer a little more credit on the Mrs. Hubbard portrayal for sure. I think a great place to talk about that is just her introduction in the remake. Like Poirot just gets on the train and immediately she just like attaches to him like a leech or something. Yep. Just won't leave him alone. Just talking. He doesn't said one word <laughs> and she's just getting on like five different subjects yeah. before he's even get to his uh, room. So a great portrayal uh, by Michelle Pfeiffer. A really fun portrayal I think. Especially since uh, that character gets to have that dark turn at the later half of the movie. Sure. So uh, I think her Mrs. Hubbard, for sure, <laughs> uh, yeah. portrayed, you know, we're talking about how we read the book, how she was annoying in the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just mm-hmm. this woman that you can't get away from, this this force of nature that just, if you get anywhere near her, you're going to get sucked in and you're going right. to lose all that time. Right. So I think she did a great job uh, just with that introduction and, in the remake. And I think that it sort of feeds into this idea, one... This character, which we'll sort of reveal, is kind of like a mastermind of sorts and also is actively trying to distract Perot from his mission. You know, she's introducing evidence, a lot of red herring evidence, um, as Perot says very early in the film, I believe in, in both films, but I think there are too many clues in this room. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, why are there so many clues in she just does a really good job, Michelle Pfeiffer, of, of as you mentioned, and really portraying that I'm glommed on to you thing. That first scene is so strong where she's just a mile a minute. Go, 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 mm-hmm. go. And he's just like, where, where is the exit? How do I get away from this woman? And um, like I said, I, didn't, I do not mean chewing up scenery in a bad way because that, that is her, mm-hmm. her job and she's portraying someone that would chew up scenery. It's really well done. Yeah, and then just going to more of the Linda Arden kind of arc, they give Michelle Pfeiffer more um, like stuff to do. Like it was like her; she was like the last one in the room uh, with uh, 
the body and she it was her like doing the fake voice pretending to be him mm-hmm. and she's like she opened the window so that to t- try to throw off Poirot. So she had, she seemed like more of a mastermind right. in the remake right. as well. And, and, also, and then they, it's also uh, more in line with what she should be doing. Right. You know, not to, yeah. sorry to cut you off there. No, but. that's cool. Um, yeah. And then she also has kind of a darker arc too, because at the end, <laughs> uh, when she's given the opportunity, <laughs> yeah, she's going to, she's going to blow her brains out. Uh, so she, Michelle Pfeiffer does a great job with this character. You know, that, hilarious you know clingy woman who just won't leave you alone to this woman who's lost everything and she doesn't care anymore and now she's gonna kill herself so it's quite a range (laughs) for that character and i think michelle pfeiffer did a great job you know not knocking uh what lauren bacall did but they just didn't give her that opportunity i think in the original film yeah there's so much more for her to do in the remake to your point yeah whereas like lauren bacall you know, she does. She also gets to do the reveal. I guess you figured it out, you clever man. But like Michelle Pfeiffer, she takes the wig off. Right. And you know, then her hair comes out, and then the hair under the wig is kind of well done too. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know, like Perot puts his gun down on the table, which is nowhere to be found in the book. But like, mm. hey, I, I'll, I'll run with it. And she's like, I died when Daisy died. Ah. <laughs> she's gonna, <laughs> she's gonna shoot Perot. She's gonna shoot herself. There's no bullets, man. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Just let me die, bro. It's great. Like, she really does feel like the mastermind in that moment. Yeah. It's just the camera starts to zoom in on her. Mm-hmm. She, again, like I said, with the wig, the whole portrayal, it feels like the acting is really coming to the forefront. You could see her do something like this on Broadway. You could see her doing a monologue. Like, she, she is portraying a classical actress that had this horrific event happen to her. And I buy it. I buy it when she's not that. I buy it when she's Hubbard. I buy it when she's Arden. And Michelle Pfeiffer, wow, what a, a great yeah. choice. Mm-hmm. And just to, you know, I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer did great, but also the way they set up that last scene, they set it up like everybody's sitting like they're at the Last Supper. Yeah, yeah. And like Michelle Pfeiffer's got, she's got the Jesus seat, mm-hmm. you know? So very interesting artistic choices uh, done with the camera work. I mean, we'll get into that later, but I just wanted to mention that. Oh, yeah, Just good, to good reinforce that that, yeah really shows that she was the one in charge so i got nothing against what lauren bacall did i think she did a great job but like i said i think just michelle fiber just got a little more to do she had a little more fun with uh, especially with that hubbard character mm-hmm. so i'll go with that one definitely and you know if you're gonna have sort of a mastermind it really came across in the remake first the original which was like yeah all right yeah she's in charge but mm-hmm. like you said the fact that they would even go into some of that imagery like the last supper it's the 12 and all this i think the visual in that moment was stronger than the wording in the original, which is like 12, 12 here, 12 that. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. Like Sean Connery is really quoted more in terms of like the choice of the 12 different right. people than, uh, than she is. There's no one stepping on her lines. There's no one stepping on her, her shine in this remake. It, it, yeah. She is the mastermind. It's, it's portrayed well. Another great character. Mm-hmm. Should we move on? Yeah, let's keep them. Let's keep All right, since we got uh, the mother of the deceased, I think maybe we can go to the sister mm. and her husband. So Countess Helena Andreni, portrayed by Jacqueline Bizet in the original and Lucy Boynton in the remake, and then her husband, Count Andreni, portrayed by Michael York in the original. Sorry, I had to do that. <laughs> and Sergei Polunin in the remake. Okay. 
I'm going to start with the count. Okay. In this comparison. So I'm going to start with Sergey. Um, I, I, figured I didn't get would. him. I didn't get his character. <laughs> okay. I was confused. He doesn't really have much to do in the remake. He has this Kung Fu scene yeah, in the beginning, dude. which yeah, felt completely out of place. Yes. They kind of justify it by saying he's a famous dancer, but I didn't get it. Uh, it seemed not time appropriate at all (laughs) that he would know to use his legs and they also mentioned like maybe ties to gangs in him but um i don't know it felt it took me out of it yeah just by doing that but those decisions and then he didn't really do much other than that in the remake other than just kind of getting mad at poirot sometimes and it's just like all right whatever as opposed to michael york who I don't. If, if I'm trying to hide my uh, protect my wife from this investigation, I think what Michael York did was a lot smarter. You know, not getting aggressive to the lead investigator. Sure. You know, making him question like, well, why is he protecting her? Maybe because she's guilty. You know, Michael York, he was on top of it, and but he wasn't like overly sure. like protective. Like he, he's like, all right, well, we'll we'll be with everybody. You know, I'm not gonna just like shelter her like in this room alone. So. Um, he, he didn't. It's not. It wasn't a big role, but I just liked what he had to do better than the remake. It's just, yeah, it's just cleaner. It fits the characters more, both sort of from the aspects of the book and look. When you get introduced to Michael York and Jacqueline Bissett in the original, they're just getting on the train. They're wearing nice clothes, so clearly they're mm-hmm. important, and they get on the train. That's it. You know, their clothes are nicer. They are clearly important. Everyone is trying to like get them to spend money on stuff. We'll get around to whoever they are later, but I, you've established visually what I need to see. What I don't need to see is a bunch of paparazzi around the bar or whatever, and he's like, that's it, buddy. It's like, no warning, just kicking people's <laughs> ass. It, it, like, I agree. It took me out of the moment. I didn't understand why he was, like, kung fu fighting. Like, I just, <laughs> like, I just was very confused by... The flips and the kicks and the punches. And then, like, the to kind of cap the scene off with, like, the guy takes a, a phone and he's like, oh, my bad. And he just throws his camera on the ground. It just, yeah. it didn't, it didn't make sense. And, you know, I understand that these are kind of, like, famous people. But it also, I don't know, like, you're supposed to be kind of laying low. Like, the fact yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you would think somebody's going to recognize somebody in, in the remake universe where there's paparazzi around there's uh all these different people that he's punching out like someone at some point would make the connection and i i just didn't think that it made sense it's not like they even do much in the original but like that's kind of the point yeah that's like you're not no nah, i'm you know we're diplomats leave us alone mm-hmm. stop asking me questions and then you know he tries to throw a couple red herrings here or there with uh, the grease stain, but like the fighting was just—I was very confused. Yeah, I didn't really care for the fighting, and just overall, his character was just like, meh. <laughs> I didn't really care about him. But the Countess, we have some different portrayals. So I'm gonna start with the remake again. Mm-hmm. Lucy Boynton doesn't really have much screen time, but I think she did much better with her screen time than her counterpart, Sergi. Because, um, you know, she's all drugged out on Bobatol. Bobatol. I love the way she says Bobatol. It's great. Um, So she's, it's a very short portrayal. And 
you know, she's drugged out of her mind, but I think she handled it really well. I, I totally believed, okay, yeah, this something wrong with this woman that she's drugged out all the time. And mm. then she kind of had that, you know, early Hollywood kind of way of speaking. So uh, I, I really liked what she did with that character. Yeah. Well, yeah, she's, talk, she's talking about Barbital and, like, she, I don't know, like you said, she's just so zonked out. And it does fit in line with, like, the question of what her exact involvement is, whether she's contributing to the uh, the murder and stuff like that. So, like you mentioned, it's a great portrayal. She shows her vulnerability there. It makes sense that she's drugged out, given the fact that, like, what happened to her sister. And right. it doesn't take much, and that's where I think this movie figures out it doesn't take much to get that point across and, right. I, and we get it right there although i still hate the count so uh yeah i i'm trying not to take points away from her but she does it she does a good job to your point mm-hmm. and uh jacqueline Bissett, you know she does fine she's not as drugged out as uh a remake countess but she, i think she has well she definitely has more to do mm-hmm. um not only does she like have like more scenes but she's also a part of the murder that's one of the differences between these two sure um the remake she doesn't commit the murder but in the original she is um her and her husband stab our cassetti together which was an interesting to- choice because i don't think that happened in the book either i think she was one of the she... the only person who didn't yeah the I, murder, right? I think it's um i think they they make it sort of ambiguous it's implied that she's not involved like it's possible that she did participate but i think that overall the way it's portrayed the count is ultimately trying to protect her mm-hmm. at this point and i think he's acts as a surrogate more along the lines of what you see in the uh the remake you know mm-hmm. keeping her away from it and giving her an airtight alibi i do like one sort of thing that kind of happens in the original it's like when everything's done like even poirot is like all right i guess you're all free to go it's like everybody's kind of cheersing them it's yeah. like the two people that we're behind that are everybody's approaching are the mother and the daughter yes so that that kind of showed like these two people were the what like the most affected by uh the crime that happened so i don't know just a nice little moment that the original had it, it is a little long <laughs> because we have to see every <laughs> yeah. character cheers them which the original does that a lot <laughs> right but uh it just again just states her importance and uh while i did like what Lucy did in the remake again just I don't like what her husband had to do so if we're kind of putting the couples together I'm just going to give a slight edge to what they did in the original I, I agree I think um the original there's more of a line with the doctor about um the effects of barbital could it be used as a toxin she's like oh I, I guess I've incriminated myself you know there's more happening there and I think you're right that scene at the end when we get that over the shoulder shot of uh the the daughter and the the mother i think it's an it's a good scene sort of from that sort of it, it, yeah from, from <laughs> that was <perspective>, terrible <laughs> yeah i i think honestly uh, uh we'll talk about that at the ending but i, I yeah i think that that was not a great choice but we'll talk about that later but it does elevate her character to kind totally. of put her up there with her mother and totally. this revenge plot. So that's what I, why I was bringing that up. Yeah. I, I, it's not my favorite scene either. <laughs> no, but I, I do agree that the elevation is there because though she is important and is the sister, uh, ultimately that's what's revealed. I never felt in the remake that she ever took hold of that 
you know, mm-hmm. position where, like you said, the original, at least they've elevated her and shown, like, of all of these people, who should be the most upset? And it's a, it is those two. And I think the original pulls that off a little bit better, to your point. Mm-hmm. The remake, yeah, I, I think the count, unfortunately, does drag down the performance. He, mm-hmm. The count's not great in the original either, but he's he does less harm. You know, he's out yeah. of the way. Uh, again, they, I understand the want to, you know, it's almost a two-hour movie. It's t- 2017. You want to kind of keep things moving along. It made zero sense to have him fighting people. Um, mm-hmm. That time could have been well served with something else. Even if they wanted to kind of like fake a struggle or something, you know, something like that. Like if you wanted to do like a fake out with uh, a guy escaping the train. I know it's not really in the book, but they made enough concessions that, okay, I could see that. But like, mm-hmm. I don't know, that that choice was odd. I weirdly enough would rather just see two people walking onto a train wearing white outfit. Mm-hmm. They just have more to do in the original and what they do um they don't really well, i don't want to say they don't waste the time because they do waste a little bit of time yeah, in that original film. well you know it's it's definitely not as jarring as like some random kung fu at a cafe it, just, it, it, it really you, took me out of it uh, every time you bring yeah. it up i start seeing it in my head yeah. and i and like he almost ends like like a ninja he's like ah. <laughs> like i just mm-hmm. knocked out three guys i'm like yo bro what was that it's so jarring and unnecessary and I know we're not supposed to waste a lot of time with this, Dan, but, like, what the fuck? He's throwing sidekicks, <laughs> jump kicks and shit like that. I'm like, yo, what? Hey, that guy did it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that happened, man. It was just so weird. Yeah. They don't use them a lot in the remake, and when they do use them, it's not necessarily the best result. So let's leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> All right, let's so points to the original there. Yep. Let's move on to some other characters. I got the missionary, yeah. so maybe we could talk about her. Okay, yeah. this is a name change and a race change. So mm-hmm. we have in the original Ingrid Bergman portrays Greta Olsen, and then Penelope Cruz as Pilar Estravados. Just throwing it out there, Greta Olsen won an Oscar for this portrayal. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> She's on the she's on screen for five minutes. Won an Oscar. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Let's let, let's slow down here. So, from what I recall, Greta Olsen doing the original. Doesn't she basically pretend like she's backwards? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So she does a shitty kind of German accent, pretending to be, for lack of a better word, mentally challenged. Um, she won an Oscar. For that. She won an Oscar for right. five minutes on screen. Best supporting actress. <laughs> well, well, you know what? I'm not going to say anything else. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, I was surprised to find out she won an Oscar. Scenes have, A, very little screen time, and B, not necessarily the most memorable scene. The, uh, the little brown children in the... How do you, you say like backwards? You didn't like her talking about little brown children? <laughs> I, you know what, man? You know what? Maybe that was the move back then. I, I don't know. <laughs> she, she. I mean, look, she, she did her job. Sorry, mm-hmm. I, I, you shouldn't have told me that, Dan. Now I'm like, <laughs> now you're ripping on her even more. Yeah. Now, you know what? <clears throat> it's a strong scene. It's a strong scene. It's a little cheesy. I don't think the accent actually works. But uh, look, if she got an Oscar for this, you know what? God, God bless her. 
yeah, I thought she did okay with it. I don't know if it's necessarily Oscar worthy, but you know, um, she definitely portrayed the fact that like, you know, I'm just trying to be a missionary here and just, just been a missionary for some reason. We don't know why until later. Um, you know, it's not the strongest performance in the movie even, but I will give her credit. It's more memorable than what Penelope Cruz did. Cause oh boy, is it was Penelope Cruz even in the movie? Cause I don't remember she, her, man. It's so strange. All right. So Penelope Cruz's character is not in this book. I know you mentioned that, but like, yeah, from what I read, she may be in another like Perot novelization, but like mm. she's not in this book. And I think again, probably part of her reason being here is to kind of modernize some of like yeah. the different like racial implications and stuff like that she yeah dude what's she doing what's she doing you know i i couldn't tell you she, she quotes like she did. hebrews at some point you know like we will all account to god at some point i just i don't know like you know what if if you had to compare these two and say which one of these deserves the oscar you're goddamn right the original <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying yeah. to remember what she does. I think she's the reason at the end that Poirot decides not to turn them in. But even then, I was like really listening to her lines, what she said. It's like, that? That's going to make him not want to turn everybody in? It's, it wasn't It wasn't great, man. No. <laughs> it was, like I said, it was completely forgettable. I, you know, I don't mind replacing a character with another character, but... You don't, don't really do anything with her? You know, it's Penelope Cruz. I was about to say, Huge I don't mind it being group. Penelope Cruz. Yeah. I mean, Another alumni. <laughs> exactly, yeah. We have all these alumni from previous episodes, obviously from our Vanilla Sky and Open Your Eyes episode. So, you know, happy to see her again. Doesn't really do anything. That's... I can't Even like her interview, I don't remember what she said during her interview. I don't know. Because her interview was sort of interspliced with two other people's interviews, too. So... Her and another character we'll get to are pretty forgettable in this movie. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they're both kind of the same ethnicity. True. Greta Olsen account is is long. It's a long, kind of drawn out mm-hmm. speech to basically get two seconds of dialogue where she says, you know, um, was it the long distance thing or was no that was Mary? But like she said something that he would recognize as someone more familiar with American culture would say, and you know, we can talk about brown kids and backwardsness and all that stuff. But like, <laughs> like I said, at least I remember that. I remember that she said it. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm with you. I know Penelope Cruz is constantly referencing like biblical themes that have nothing mm-hmm. to do with the rest of the film. Right. So by including or like swapping the character, who doesn't get enough screen time for you to even justify swapping? It could have just right. been some fake German chick. You know what I mean? Like it, it didn't really matter who was reading Bible quotes. So it, it felt right. strange that they decided to swap that character out. Not sure what that was. And somehow Penelope Cruz, who's a very strong actress. Um, yeah. Well, I guess the other actress, she got an Oscar for it. I mean, just, yeah. I don't know. I, I got, I really have not much to say about Penelope Cruz in this movie. Yeah. yeah they're both pretty meh roles overall. Cause they're not really strong characters in either the film or even the book. Mm-hmm. So, um, to, and then Penelope Cruz just really has nothing to do in this movie. So, I mean, she's a huge star. Really forgettable. So just because I remember more of uh, what Ingrid Bergman did, and I'm not necessarily saying it's Oscar-worthy, but it's 
it's better than what we got with the remake for sure. I just I feel like a very underused character yeah. in the remake. If I had to guess, um, again, I don't know Ingrid Bergman's Oscar history or anything like that, but uh, this sounds like a makeup call, you know? Ingrid- it sounds like it, just like, all right, she's she's done enough bodies of work, kind of like what they did with Paul Newman in Color of Money. Let's just sure. give him the Oscar we should have given him for The Hustler. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, Ingrid Bergman is a strong actress. Um, mm-hmm. This role is, is not her best no. role. Um, it's not a career-defining role, you know? No, no. Honestly, this should probably go in the trash heap of, like, you know, th- that's just something they did in the 70s, and we're not going to go t- <laughs> too deep into it. And then, I mean, Pilar Estravados. Like, who is Pilar Estravados? I don't know. What is Pilar Estravados? I, I, I don't know. Like, just, I would rather, at that point, just cut the character out of the story, you know? Yeah. But you need 12 because of the stabs, so that's the only reason to not cut any number to a lower number, I suppose. Yeah, but ultimately forgettable characters, I think we're both going to just give that edge to the original then. I mean, there's not much to say about her because she doesn't really do much in either film, but much more forgettable in that remake. That's true. It's a shame, but whatever. All right. Where should we go next? Let's go with uh, Princess Dragomiroff. Okay, Princess Dragomiroff, that's who I'm trying to say. Let's go with Princess Dragomiroff next. Portrayed by Wendy Hiller in the original and Judi Dench in the remake. And I'll just throw her out there just because we're probably going to talk about her too. Her maid, Hildegard Schmidt, portrayed by Rachel Roberts in the original and Olivia Coleman in the remake. I think we can kind of lump these two characters yeah, I think together. So. I think that's fair. All right, Princess Dragomiroff. <laughs> yeah, um, an older woman. Um, I think both characters to sort of put in that sort of, we read the book framework. Uh, I think both characters kind of capture what this is supposed to be. Um, honestly, I, I don't even think I really have that many notes for this character. I would just say this no. Dame Judy Dench is Jame Judy Dench, man. She, uh, <laughs> she gets as much out of this character as I think anybody could. Let's go with this. What was her relation to Daisy? She was friends with the mother. She was the friends God, with Linda Arden. She was the godmother. And then she was the godmother, yeah. You know, she, she plays this really well in terms of, like, she's kind of a jerky old lady, you know? She just, mm-hmm. she'll rip into you. She thinks she's better than everybody. And, I mean, that's about it. She plays a, a great old, a grand dame, you know? She's mm-hmm. nailed it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Again, this is another character that doesn't have much screen time, uh, but yeah, old, rich, mean lady yeah. is kind of, and they both nail it. Yeah. Um, I, it's really hard to pick a portrayal between the two of them, so I think their handmaid is going to kind of help us sure. with the edge of these characters. So I don't really have anything to add. I think they do, both did a fine, serviceable I, job. I Nothing agree. necessarily memorable. Uh, they both had dogs cool <laughs> so I'm, with that i'm just gonna move on to hildegard schmidt um i'll start with the remake uh olivia coleman great actress uh i love her in peep show if anybody likes peep show it's a great hilarious show uh i'm again i'm gonna go say what they said with uh, penelope Cruz. just really underutilized here this is a really great actress olivia coleman and i don't really remember her doing much at all i know she talks to uh perot in german gets some information then she's 
finger it at the end just being like you're the cook it's like wait when did we establish that because <laughs> yeah. at least in the at least in the original one of the interactions that's actually better with Poirot and uh, somebody is questioning i think is, is between him and hildegard schmidt in the original it's like I agree. Is he's just he's just like asking her random questions it seems like you know, random nonchalant questions and he's like i knew you were also a pretty good cook too right yeah yeah i was a really good cook yeah, all the ladies say that even oh and then just just that one little moment yep. right there i was just like okay yeah. Okay. So that, now I know who your character is, and you just you just slipped right there, and I, I saw you slip. So that was a fun little scene. Don't have a moment like that in the remake. I do want to point to that actual moment that you're describing there, which I think the original actually does a better job of throughout the film, which is people get caught mm-hmm. more obvious in right. the original, and mm-hmm. that to your point. You're taking this kind of side character who's just kind of off to the side doing maidly duties. And, you know, she's covering when it comes to the handkerchief. That's kind of her big claim to fame in both films is that she doesn't want her lady, as it were, for instance, Dragomoff or whatever, uh, to, <laughs> to be um, to be kind of like a suspect. So she's trying to throw a little distraction when it comes to the handkerchief and stuff like that. You're right. In the original, that one little moment, that one moment, sells that over the top because she knows that she fucked up, mm-hmm. you know, famously quoted. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't even recognize that that happened in the remake until they basically flash back to it, you know? Yeah. That, that, oh, you know, you would never, your ladies would never know that you were a good cook. So, like, oh, right. okay. Yeah. And <laughs> to your point, that's another point in that original direction, which is you take this strong actress, and uh, Miss Coleman, you take these strong actors in Penelope Cruz, you give them these characters that actually, as as kind of meaningless as they are, are actually meaningful in the margins. You know, um, there's a mm-hmm. lot of revelation that happens with this maid between the handkerchief, the, the cook, and all this stuff. Like, we're learning quite a bit about all of their relationship to uh, the Armstrongs, and it just doesn't translate as well in the remake. Yeah, it doesn't. So, again, I just... I really don't have much to add to that. They are small roles, but just that, again, that little bit uh, with that interview, I'm going to give the edge to the original with, uh, I'll just lump those two together with Princess Dragomorph and Hildegard Schmidt. Sure. Just underutilizing a lot of these uh, actors in the remake. As we get down the list, (laughs) we'll see. Let's go into uh, the employees of uh, Cassetti. We have McQueen... Hector McQueen, portrayed by another alumnus, Anthony Perkins, in the original. And then we have Josh Gad in the remake. And the other employee is the valet, another name change here. George Gilgood, another alumnus from Arthur episode, mm-hmm. <laughs> portrays Edward Bedos. And then we have Derek Jacoby as Edward Henry Masterman, which is actually the name he was in the book. Yeah. Okay. The Bedos thing, what a weird name change. Yeah, I don't. I couldn't find anything on why they changed the names in the original. I mean, and even when they changed the names in the remake, it makes sense because oh, it's a completely different ethnicity. Would it make sense if somebody who looks Spanish has a Swedish last sure. name? So I get that. I don't understand like old white dude. We're gonna give him the same old white dude name from the book, but that's besides the point. Let's talk about her portrayals. I'm gonna start with the easier one. I'm gonna start with McQueen. Very different portrayals here. Yeah. From Anthony Perkins and Josh Gad. Anthony Perkins almost kind of, almost sort of portraying the uh, Bateman yeah. from the Bates. 
motel character you know, that, that having that mother complex with uh sonia armstrong just like how kind she was to him and he was interested in acting and she was an actress and she was gonna maybe take him under her wing and so like he really he fucks up early in the movie <laughs> by yeah. revealing the connection there josh gad a much darker <laughs> portrayal we'll say this alcoholic uh chip on his shoulder because his dad wrongfully accused the wrong person in the murder and we get an action sequence out of josh gad trying to flee and burn up documents so strange uh, yeah so i'm not sure what uh, you wanted to talk about those two yeah so perkins like you said it feels referential like you mentioned it does feel like uh I've seen Perkins do this before. And it's probably why he was picked, you know, just to mm-hmm. do that portrayal. He comes across as very nervous. He fiddles with mm-hmm. his tie. He, Like you mentioned, he fucks up immediately, <laughs> you know. And uh, I was actually kind of surprised tonally by that. Like, it just felt like, oh, well, I guess, all right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I thought they would that Perot was going to have to kind of, you know, work for his supper as it were a little bit more. <laughs> and Anthony Perkins is just like, uh, and then he's like looking around in places and he's like shuffling off. It's just like, well, I know something's up, dude. Yeah. Anthony Perkins has a lot of these long, awkward stares. Like he does that a lot for Cassetti. Like, all right, leave me alone. Okay. I, sure. Boss. Right. Well, <laughs> it's like, let's uh, make it a little more obvious. <laughs> yeah. Because Josh Gad, they really, like, lean into the fact that, like, he's a drinker. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is kind of important <laughs> from an evidence perspective. I'm trying to remember the book. I actually don't recall them actually leaning into it that much. Because I don't um. remember that little piece of evidence. But it helps. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good addition in, in terms of, like, Josh Gad is, I don't know, he's, he's a character actor for sure. And I would say Anthony Perkins mm-hmm. falls in that category. But... Josh Gad doesn't give up the game so early. Right. It gives mm-hmm. us a little bit more time in in the questioning of what's going on. Whereas Anthony Perkins feels like he just kind of like hyperdrive the movie into all oh, these people are suspects, right? You know. And I thought there was more time to kind of sit back and say, what happened to Mr. Cassetti? You know, what happened mm-hmm. to Mr. Ratchet? And we don't we don't get that with Perkins. Yeah, it's a much slower burn uh, with Josh Gad's uh, McQueen. And like I said, he does get an action sequence. It does lead us to believe that he is the murderer. So we get a little bit of that in the remake. Um, pretty good action he has, scene, too. Yeah, pretty intense stuff uh, for a guy with a funny mustache. <laughs> and uh, but he does have a little... Again, we're, we're, they bring out the race card again. Right? He says, I usually don't judge a man by the color of his skin. But then he's like, well, look at the Latin guy. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I thought you don't judge people on race. Well, depends on the race. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of... It was a funny line. Um... <laughs> Look, I, I, I would, I'm okay with it because it's, it's in the style of like, when the book comes across, people are, across the the border, you know, Italians are skeptical of British people, British people mm-hmm. are skeptical of French people, uh, none of them like, <laughs> uh, people from India, you know, it's like, um, yeah. uh, the Italians, they, you know, they have a predisposition for stabbing, you know, like all, all this <laughs> like, um, race is, is a factor in the book because that in itself is a red herring you know people mm-hmm. think that um fuscarelli in in the book you know they right. think that he's like check the italian guy because someone got stabbed you know or like uh or the women they have a they're feeble and prone to emotion so it 
Josh Gad helps us, as we saw as well with the Daisy Ridley scene, helps us kind of reiterate that, like, these people are skeptical of each other based off of race. Um, you know, he doesn't trust Britainers, whatever the hell that is. Um, <laughs> and he definitely doesn't trust the Spanish guy. So, you know, <laughs> keep those eyes open. <laughs> no, Josh Gad, I think he does a lot, honestly. Yeah. They gave him a lot more to do, for sure, than yeah, Anthony Perkins. Like, Anthony Perkins plays, like, pretty heavily in the beginning. But after that, you really don't see him until the very end. Yep. Yeah, so... Again, just uh, just because he gets a little more screen time and he has more to do, you know, it's not like boring. It's pretty memorable. Like we said he has a nice action sequence, and he just does a really good job portraying the character. Like you said, not giving up the ghost too soon. Yep. Uh, so I will give a little bit of the edge over there for uh, the remake, and uh, then we go to the valet, George Gilgood, who we loved in Arthur, as Edward Bedos, and then Derek Jacoby's Edward Henry Masterman. Uh, very small roles. <laughs> Super small. I think my predisposition for George Golgit definitely it tainted my watch because I was very excited to see him. Mm-hmm. I was very excited to see him as a butler. <laughs> yeah, again, was, hey, we like him as a butler. <laughs> I was excited when, uh, which has nothing to do really with the movie, but when he said spotted dick, because it reminded me, uh, should I wash your dick, sir? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I really enjoy him as an actor, and mm-hmm. I enjoyed his portrayal here, which is like the same thing. It was like, here's another guy being a dick to this really capable butler, and, mm-hmm. you know, in the end, he kind of gets his uh, comeuppance. Or, excuse me, he gets the ability to kind of, like, right. elevate himself. I don't remember much of the remake. You may have to help me here. I do remember uh, Derek Jacoby. He has some things that aren't exactly, I don't remember from the original or the book. I think he's dying of a disease, so he's a little more curt, mm-hmm. I guess you could say, to his employer. He was like, uh, I think the line was, did you leave this here? If I had a message for you, sir, you, it wouldn't be like in a letter or something. It's pretty uh, aggressive what he said to him. Yeah. So, um, you know, really small role in both films, really. It's really hard for me to well, pick the better one. I mean, I, I do well, love George as well, but I, I, again, it's just like I don't really know if either of them did anything that's yeah. really better than the other. I'll say this based off of what you literally just said. I'm actually going to have to lean towards the remake because although the disease wasn't really a part of the book, the disposition was. He does not like his boss. Mm-hmm. And just in that moment, it's apparent in that moment so i think it fits the plot and explaining something that happened in the book better than Beto's, who one doesn't have the same name two i don't think i ever really got that take off of him you know it's like yeah his boss is hard on him but i didn't really get the he didn't like his boss and that made him a suspect in the book you know Mm -hmm. like that's kind of important and because I didn't quite get that from the original portrayal. I'm going to lean towards the remake, okay. um, even though I like the original actor more. Right. Um, I, I just liked that he was in it, and I thought it was mm-hmm. fun to see him, but I don't think it helped the story. I see. I'm going to just give it a push, because I, mm-hmm. I really think it's a, it was such a small role. I don't really think there was anything there to really make me like you know Fair. prefer one performance over the other. So I get what you're saying. Um, I, I made me have to watch the original again because I, I, I barely remember yeah. what he did as Bedos. And again, yeah, the name change. Why do you got to change the name, man? It's so <laughs> There's nothing weird. wrong with Masterman. 
so weird. And, you know, like, kind of getting back to a point, like, uh, I think both of these films, in some respect, almost deserve a rewatch because it's easy to get, like, locked into the things that are, like, big and flashy Mm -hmm. um, in both films. It's hard to get into the margins because there's so many damn characters. You know, some people stick out, some people don't. Um, Beto's, George Gilgood's portrayal is just fun because it's him. So, you know, that that's really, in both these films, a strong point is that because you have an ensemble cast, even if someone's not doing something, you're just kind of excited that they're there. So mm-hmm. I could see the push, but for story aspects, I'm going to stick with my, my guns. The remake, slight, slight lead because mm-hmm. it feels like, more like the book. No problems there. Let's move on. We only got a couple characters left. Let's go to Hardman. <laughs> okay. Our detective kind of guy. Hardman, portrayed by Colin Blakely in the original, and Willem Dafoe in the remake. Good old Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. already kind of mentioned him, so I'm going to start with the Willem Dafoe portrayal. So he's pretending to be a German professor in the remake who doesn't quite like the mixing of the colors, Reggie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, uh, but it's, it's great, though, I think, what he does, because he has this terrible German accent <laughs> the whole time in the film, and he's, you know, making all this racist shit. And then as soon as it's like, who are you really? And then he's like, like, you could just see Willem Dafoe's face like completely change. And he's like, well, actually, I, I'm not racist. I'm actually half heave myself, you know. He's like, what? Yeah. Where did this come from, dude? It's yeah. uh, it's it's a fun turn uh, that Willem Dafoe has that is definitely not there in the original. Yeah. Willem Dafoe gets so many kind of good scenes. Um, I'm a little biased because I saw Willem Dafoe pretty recently in a movie called The Lighthouse. And it's a very good movie, but a very strange film. Uh, highly recommend it. He gets so many little opportunities to do all this weird stuff before the mm-hmm. turn that, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm trying to remember more so in the original. I'm trying to remember the book. And that, that, that's a change, right? The German professor. That's not quite... Uh, yeah, I don't remember exactly what he was um, pretending to be before I think, that. I think he was pretending to be an American, but then we find out what type of American he is. So, I I don't know. It, it doesn't really matter what he, what he was originally, to be honest, but, like, Willem gets to have a lot of fun in this role, mm-hmm. and there's moments where you're like, jeez, bro, like... Why he's being so racist? <laughs> and then like the half heave line, which is still kind of problematic, but like uh, <laughs> it's it, it's fun. Like like you said, when you have an actor like this, give them that type of space, and like mm-hmm. for him to go from like crazy accent to I'm just an American, you know, regular everyday cop. Um, <laughs> it's, it's fun, and I think he really does emotively pull off the fact right. that he was in love with a French maid. Yeah. I saw the struggle more, uh, like, in his face, like, when he was talking about her, especially at the end of the movie. He's like, you know, it was just an old guy, and uh, and she was so much younger, I told her she'd be with anybody else, but, you know, every date, she was there on time. You know? Small, yeah. small line, but very effective what he does with it. Again, it's these roles aren't really huge, but what he does with the time he has, it's really memorable. It, Willem Dafoe's really great. He's a great actor. Yeah. And just pulls it off. I think... From what I remember in the original, I think it is more kind of a line with what the book did. But again, that's not always a positive as we're finding out. And right. I, don't, I don't know, like, 
I don't really remember what the hook was for him to, you know, show that he was in love with uh, with her. I think maybe a line about like foreign girls. I remember that from the book. I don't really remember what uh, what happens in the original movie. Right. I, and and that happens quite a bit in this original film where like like I know the general story, but sometimes what's going on doesn't hook me enough that I even remember what each individual person does. Right. Yeah, I don't really remember him too much in the original film. He comes in very late, and uh, he barely, I barely even remember him speaking, because I feel like it was mostly Perot, just like, being, you're exactly this, you're not who you say you are, and uh, he doesn't have much to do in that yeah. original film. I mean, especially compared to what Willem Dafoe does in the remake. Yeah, yeah. actually, now I'm thinking about it. I think, really, when he's like, he comes in and he says, you know, I'm, I'm a detective is like can you prove it he like hands albert finney a card and then albert finney yeah and he just hands it back and it's like well there's more no he hands it after he gets the card he hands him a picture that's of the girl that's right. what he gets that's right he hands him a picture and then he like reacts because yeah. it's uh it's the girl mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know willem dafoe just so much more to do there so, uh, so much more to do so much more fun to watch yep um, it's every time he was on the on the screen, you know, you you you're fixed on him because yep. you know he was gonna do something, and he delivered like every time he was on. The totally, screen, so. totally. I mean, he, it takes two to tangle, and that rose scene is strong because Willem mm-hmm. Dafoe is like established this like pseudo German character that has, I guess, a taste for eugenics. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. Uh, you know, given that the movie takes place in 1930, like four. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a little uh, foreshadowing, huh? <laughs> but yeah, great character. Don't really remember the original. The points of Willem mm-hmm. Dafoe. All right. And I saved the worst for last. Uh, the least memorable character, I feel like, in either film are, I guess, Car Tycoon. Oh, yeah. We have Dennis Quilly as Antonio Foscarelli in the original. And then he was changed in the remake. It's Manuel Garcia Rulfo as. Beniamino Marquez. Okay, this is the guy who used to be a chauffeur for Mr. Colonel Armstrong, and then he found fortune uh, in the car business on his own from that. Uh, like I said, I saved the worst character for last. He's a very forgettable character. Yeah. And both films, even in the book, he's not really that big of a character from what I remember. Um. I will say this. I think he's a little more fun in the original. <laughs> I was uh, leaning that way myself. To your point in the book, Fuscarelli more or less serves as a red herring because our characters, um, some of our main characters, are more or less racist. Let's call it what it is. <laughs> they assume that an Italian person is more likely to use the uh, the tool the of stabbing. <laughs> yep. We have to interview but, the Italian, which is, I'm surprised they didn't do that in the, I know, it's such the a, original. It's such a funny kind of beat yeah. uh, in the book that like, finally we're going to interview your Italian. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, um, and there's not, there's like you mentioned, there's not much there. Fuscarelli is, I mean, I guess to an extent they're all guilty, but given the evidence that we know, not, more guilty than anybody else so right. you know it doesn't make a lot of sense to focus on him and like you said in the original it's more fun mm-hmm. it just is you know he yeah. he leans into the character portrayal a bit right i think yeah. he even has like the over-the-top look probably 
again, you know, the word racist has come out a couple times. <laughs> it's probably a little racist, but um, I don't know. It Hey, look, it fits the story, and he's interesting. I felt like in the remake, he just feels like a character from, like, Party Down that's, like, <laughs> you know, doing some random dialogue. I didn't really get it, you know, in the, in the remake. Yeah, he's very forgettable in the remake. I think he has two scenes, maybe. And, like I said, his interview, uh, Penelope Cruz's Pilar Stravados, and I think it's Hardman's interview. I think all three of them are kind of interspliced. Mm-hmm. So you never really focus on just one, and it's the kind of quick cuts. So you never really get to see his character. You don't really see his character interact with other characters too much in the remake. So uh, it's just completely forgettable for me. Yeah, yeah. And to your point, we spend more time with him uh, because in the book he is sort of like suspect number one originally, at least for some of our characters. Yeah, I think they spend the appropriate amount of time with him in the original. And to your point, in the remake, they just kind of jump around. I think also the remake is trying to, as I described before, ascribe sort of more modern racism to the film yeah yeah like versus the racism du jour (laughs) in the 1930s so you know more focus on spanish and like black people versus indians and italians in the original and i get it i get it because i think you'd have to spend some time explaining what is even happening? It's like, why are they, why are they bagging on this Fuscarelli guy? You have to be <laughs> yeah. like, I think you'd have to make more of your characters more racist. And I, I, <laughs> I think, you know, smart, smart cut. Like, look, am I going to sit here and bitch and complain because they're not portraying the racism properly? Uh, no, it's <laughs> like you, you've added, like, we've used this word before, but like, you've added surrogates. So we were worried that Mr. Marquez, uh, I'm afraid he'll be hanging for just his last name. Or mm-hmm. Arbitho, or, or Arvinat, you know, um, perhaps he'll be the scapegoat because of the color of his skin. Mm-hmm. So they do quickly kind of like show that there are racial implications at play when it comes to the suspects. While not being necessarily true to the novel, it's true to the spirit. And I think that a modern audience will get what they're trying to say. The original, I don't know, like you see it, but they're not really explaining What's happening with us is just more fun to watch, and I believe that character a little bit more than uh, Marquez. Yeah, I don't mind the the racial thing, the whole changing yeah, it, and like, oh, Marquez, like with that last name, you better look into him. So, like, yeah, they brought in the race thing, but that's not necessarily anything his character's doing. That's right. things other characters are talking about right. when that character's not around. So, uh, again, it's just like, well show me him because I, I i need to see this guy because he's barely in the movie I forget what he looks like so he's just small role in both movies but uh, he just has a little more to do in the original sure now that's all the characters right what's that that's all the characters right that is all the characters i like to i guess uh add the inclusion of another character in my opinion which is the evidence they make some different choices with the evidence in the films. I guess just to go over that very quickly, not we don't okay, need the heart. Sure. Mostly specifically the knife. Do okay. Do you think we need to stab Michelle Pfeiffer? I don't know if we need to, but it definitely, you know, 
makes you think she's innocent after she gets stabbed. Yeah. So it's another red herring. It's just among all the red herrings in the movie. So I had no problem with it. Um, it did seem like a little intense, like for not kind of coming out of nowhere. Like, wow. Instead of just finding the bloody knife. But, you know. Was unfamiliar with the subject material. I think that it could throw you off the, uh, off the case. And if you are familiar with the subject material, given the fact that they've already made some changes throughout the film, perhaps they're going a different route with this ending. Right. So I think that the way evidence is portrayed in the remake is in line with what we've been saying thematically throughout, which is, is it the bones of the story are there? But there are choices that are made to really make um, this flow a lot better. And to that point, that evidence as well, it's part of that character building in this universe, which is the story flows. It just flows so much better right. in, in the remake than the original. Yeah. I actually want to, that's where I wanted to go next was actually the flow sure. of the movies. Um, so I guess I'm going to talk about the original first. The original definitely moves a lot slower. It mm-hmm. does something that we've talked about in the Poseidon <laughs> um, adventures. It's uh, where we see one character do something now we got to see all the characters do that same thing over and over again. The original does that a lot. We're introduced to each character one by one at the train station. Um, we see each character one by one kill Cassetti, and they give a little speech, which you know, <laughs> it's for my daughter. Just, exactly, you know, for my it drags it, it drags it out. It, it reestablishes their relationship to the Armstrong case, yeah. but is a little. You know, you think about it, it's like, wait, there's a... In my head, I was like, because he woke up several times throughout the night yeah. to, like, see things. I'm like, well, he didn't solve this case. They were just, like, <laughs> proclaiming what the fuck they were doing the entire time. It's and just he just like, heard it. Yeah. For the little Daisy, she was too sweet. <laughs> and, and for for my, my employer, I'm like, yo, shut up. <laughs> Stop talking and get stabbing. <laughs> so, so there's, yeah... Again, that scene doesn't have exactly the best flow because it's one at a time. And again, at the end, like I said, when everybody's cheersing the the mom and daughter, mm-hmm. again, it's one at a time, uh, which is a little slow. So I don't like it just because of the pacing, but I do like sort of that reinforcement of like why every character is here. And just like, okay, this it's stupid to say out loud before you stab somebody why you're stabbing them, especially when the greatest detective is in the next room. But it does do a nice job of like, oh yeah, that's who they are. Then they, the remake, all, I'm sorry, the original also shows like some flashbacks sometimes where you could see where they wore the night that Daisy was kidnapped or just like you could see the relationship just to the Armstrongs in general. I thought that was nice <laughs> on that part just to... For just to help me figure out who everybody was, especially if you hadn't read the books, I think it really clarifies that. But it, the flow is just, it's terrible. <laughs> it's yeah. terrible when it comes yeah. to flow. No, so th- it's a double-edged sword in the original. I agree. I think that you're making some strong points that that scene, as long as it is, um, for me, because I already read the books and I actually ended up watching, I went out of sequence this time. So by the time I was ready to watch the remake so that my partner, my wife could uh, watch it with me. Um, we watched the remake cause I knew that she wasn't going to want to watch <laughs> the original. Um, but like, yeah, I liked that. I, I think that it was unnecessary, but like for me watching it again, I was like, cool. 
this is a nice little button up. I'm going to be able to like have this discussion with you easier now that mm-hmm. I've seen this. But in terms of filmography, no, don't do this. this yeah. Is not, bad, bad idea. When you talk about flow, the remake condenses things. It takes mm-hmm. in the book. Everyone gets multiple interviews in the book. Right. Because we don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. The remake is like, you know what? Look, yeah. let's one and done <laughs> one interview, you know, maybe we'll intersperse some other things that need to come back later on. Uh, but like, it just, it flows so much better. It just flows so much better. Even the stabbing scene, it's more kind of like montage verse versus this, like, I'm doing this for my late friend. I'm doing this for my sister. And we even get a pause for like the sister stab. Cause then the husband has to come in. So even that takes longer. And then mm-hmm. it's followed to your point by the, the glass clink, which I found to be, here, here's, here's my question, because I think we're going to get into this. Should we talk about the endings when we talk about Flo? Yeah, we can get there. Okay, so we're also, audience, talking about the endings. <laughs> it's a little strange, in my opinion, for them to be so celebratory in the original film with what has just transpired. Because at that point, Perot's like, you know what? You guys got this. And like, oh, we got this? Hugs, kisses, <laughs> champagne. Yeah, we did it. We got mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, really? <laughs> like, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't you just, Mr. Perot, thank you for your understanding in this <laughs> particular case. Uh, we've all been through a lot of, of harm, and uh, we appreciate you understanding. Nah, eh, pour one out for Daisy Armstrong. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> I just thought that was so weird, man. I don't know about you. Now that you mention it, yeah, I guess that is a little bit weird to celebrate after getting away with murdering somebody. Um, I just thought it was nice just to reestablish who these characters were. Yeah. <laughs> and just be like, okay, cheers, ladies, cheers, ladies. And just like, you know, give uh, praise to the women you're trying to kind of like, this is for you and this is for you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is a little strange uh, that a... they're not a little more somber. <laughs> yeah. See, it's a muddy film in... That's why I'll kind of allow for that over long ending because I think it does in a cheesy way, but I think it does sort of wrap things up and it's like, mm-hmm. all right, that's right. That guy cares because he was a chauffeur. Okay, right. that guy was army friends with him. So, like, it helped me remember what everyone was doing. Yeah. Again, but to your point as well, I was also thinking the exact same thing you were, which is, you guys are really loud in a compartment <laughs> right next to the world's greatest detective explaining your motivation, what you <laughs> are, <laughs> what you're doing. And it's like, I, I'm not convinced that he just, the only time he wakes up is for when, you know, someone presses the button yeah. and call a conductor. So it's like, yeah, you told him what you did. In the, yeah. re- in the remake, I found it a bit strange the way they ended so- because it's, you know, you do get the, the 12 Disciples scene. You get the additional sort of, I'm going to kill myself thing. And well, then... what about before that, though? Because um, before that, the um, Arbonaut starts shooting mm. at Pororo. So there was a moment there when I was watching it thinking, like, he's like, I can't put this on you, Mary, for a crime I did. I thought, like, maybe they are changing the ending here. Maybe they're just going to put it on Arbonaut instead of all of them. So, again, another red herring, but... What do you think of that little action I, sequence on the train? You know, I I think um, slightly unnecessary, but to your point, if you're, I think that I it's a strength of the remake. They know, you know what happens. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you've read the book, if you're watching the movie, it's likely you have some understanding of the subject material. By uh, before I mentioned, I didn't quite like it, but now in retrospect, I do. Changing Arvinat's race, uh, making the love interest more apparent, which then you get to play back right here in this big climactic scene. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen because this wasn't in the book. Yeah. Perot didn't get shot. Is he okay? Is he going to get, like, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. So to your point, I appreciate it, even though I tend to be more of a purist with things like this. I think the movie has built up enough good graces and made enough smart choices that I was like, okay, yeah, let's see where you go with this. And Poirot even gets to go back and say that, like, a doctor, a, a sharpshooter at close range <laughs> that maims a doctor that knows where to, to shoot but not kill you know, it plays into Perot again as well. Like, getting shot actually matters for him. Michelle Pfeiffer getting stabbed actually matters for the film because this guy's picking his spots and it shows their own understanding of the stakes. I think this movie does a better job of trying to throw both Poirot and ourselves off of this mm-hmm. scent. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree to that. Yeah, I like the inclusion of the kind of action sequence with Arbanad at the end. You get one more action sequence before the final climax. It does throw you off if you've seen the movie, the original movie, or read the book. Yeah, plays with expectations. and yeah, I always appreciate that when they try to do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it le- leads to our ultimate climax. And it just, it worked. It had a good flow to it. It didn't take me out of it. Like, oh, now there's a weird action sequence all of a sudden. It's a, It was a pleasant surprise, I think. I, I didn't find myself clock-watching the remake yeah you know i i find that oftentimes uh specifically like the producers recently that's a good example <laughs> from center i'm like how long is this going to continue the remake did a bunch of choices that like early on too that if you're a purist and you were going to be out you would have been out right there but if you were ready for a different take on this story they established very early on they're like we're going to do this our way and Every choice that they can make, for the most part, minus Kung Fu fighting, um, <laughs> most of the choices that they make were like, okay, yeah, I get that. And even like listening to some of the interviews, because I had just recently read the book, I was like, oh, wow, they combined the two. And like that happened early and often. I was like, mm-hmm. you know what? I, I, I understand why they did that. I understand this choice. I, I understood all the choices, so I couldn't be mad by them making them. Yeah, it just moved a lot faster in the remake and... Uh... It's much appreciated because <laughs> it is just so slow the way it moved in the original film. It, it was, you know, you're talking about how close it is to the book. It, the it's, book can go slow because it's a book. You can't right. do that in a movie. Right. So I really appreciated what the remake did with the flow. And, and even like the book, it's not that long of a book, which is why I was able to actually read it yeah. and watch both films within a two week span. But like a lot of the exposition in the book or things that are happening in their head, their side conversations mm-hmm. with Perot that would not be acceptable in a film. It's like we mentioned Daisy Ridley combining things with the signatures, the grease stain, uh, mm-hmm. Arbonaut being um, uh, black actually matters because like we knock out racial relations in this like concise, quick way. Um, this style, I, I would say stylistically, the film really hit its stride. And for a movie that's almost two hours long, it doesn't feel that long. You know, it feels like an appropriate amount of time spent with everything. So I, I, I appreciated it. 
Should we go on with the rest of the ending in the remake? Sure, sure. So, we have this kind of departure in the film. And to an extent, I found it a little cheesy, but I knew what they were doing. You know, you took the 12 and then you made this sort of allegory or connection to uh, Jesus Mm -hmm. with the Last Supper. They have everyone outside of the train sitting at this, like, makeshift table. And Poirot is going over everyone's sort of motivation, who they are, what their connection is to the Armstrongs. And um, it ultimately sort of coincides with, as we mentioned before, Michelle Pfeiffer taking her off her wig and saying, yeah, I did it, and I do it again. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then, like, this fake-out, almost like, is she going to kill Poirot? Is she going to kill herself? Um, It's a very strong scene, and it's, once again, it's concise. It takes what we see in the original and condenses it into this very kind of quick, snappy scene. Uh, What was your take on that? The whole, uh, the fake-out with uh, shooting Poirot and going to shoot herself? Yeah. Oh yeah. I thought it was a I thought it was a, overall a good addition honestly because it really reinforced just like how broken these people were just because of the act of one man. Right. And that their vengeance was like just so justified because the ramifications of what he did and just what how it affected so many people. Mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was really well done and we talked about the murder scene where they show everybody killing him one at a time and this is for your sister ah, you know it's a little cheesy connects people i really like how they did it in the remake you know no dialogue just got this really somber emotional piece of music playing in the background mm-hmm. you just see everybody just going up and stabbing it's pretty it's pretty emotional and yeah, uh, it, it got me choked up a little bit it's it pretty intense and strong totally. so i i really like how they did it in the remake and it, it'll modest the original with like you get that blue tint you know what i mean yeah um but it, it's quick much quicker, uh, like you said, I'm more emotive actually because I'm seeing their take and it reinforces the idea of like Poirot, which he he has to come to this conclusion. I think that this is another thing the remake does well to an extent. I think by having uh, Penelope Cruz's Pilar being sort of the connection to the end, I think it it's not as strong as it could be, but mm-hmm. it's strong enough where Poirot is like. Hey, I don't give a fuck about who any of you guys are. Like, when the cops come, I'm going to tell them what's going on. And, like, you have this other tense moment, which is, is Perot going to sell these guys out? And mm-hmm. he has to be convinced. Whereas in the original, and it fits more like the book, which is, look, there's two things that could have happened here. Here's one, and I know you're not going to agree with one, but when I'm done telling you what two is, I bet you're going to want to hear one again. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, that fits the the storyline a little bit better uh, in terms of the book. But the remake, the way they do it is so, so good, which is just like my ethics are telling me to tell on you, all mm-hmm. of you. But I slept on it and thought about it. You know what? We're good. You know, yeah. and they, they get to have like kind of like one last plea for their own their lives. And it's a nice, nice change, actually, I think. I think the remake does it a lot better for one major reason. It's Poirot deciding it. Mm. In the original and in the book, he doesn't decide it. He goes, Monsieur Book, it is your train. Whatever you decide, we'll go there. It's like, what? What? (laughs) Why aren't you deciding? I I didn't like that when I read that in the book. I was happy to see that they actually put it 
uh, the burden on Poirot, right? Let's right. Look, it does, it, you're not getting away out of this one easily, man. This is a, your this is your call right here, okay? So yeah. I like that the remake just was like, yeah, we're not going to let this guy who gets prostitutes decide. We're going to put it on Poirot. It made sense. Yeah. And it's a strong, it's a better decision than what they did in the book. Yeah, and it, it really makes Poirot work, which yeah. is not something that you see really in the original film. And not, not even really in the book. It's like Poirot has to, like, make a choice here, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's conflicted, which yeah. goes back to your point about the uh, the lost love. Like, we get that background. So it's like Poirot likes balance. That mm-hmm. is played out very much so in, in this remake. At first when I saw it, I was like, I think it's a little cheesy that, like, they more or less made his superpower balance. But it comes back into play right here, which is mm-hmm. here are the scales of justice. Here's a man that that um, kidnapped and killed a small child, and it like look at how many different people it, this one like uh, as they said a crime should have one victim, you know one murderer one victim. This has so many victims, and uh, Poirot finally kind of comes to this conclusion that you know what me sending you guys to jail isn't really justice. You know there is no justice in this story, so I'm out. Yeah. You know like good enough it, it it's a it's an arc it's an yeah. arc bro <laughs> <laughs> i like it yeah he has a conflict and then he has to resolve it, it it's it's an arc it's what you want in your movies it mm-hmm. makes the characters more interesting especially once they make the decision and stick with it so i i like that he was the one with the burden of making the decision of what happens to all these people yeah. and i think they did a good enough job of like making us sympathize with them uh, enough where we were like yeah please let them go <laughs> this yeah. guy was an asshole he killed a kid ruined killed five people like all together because of that and these people's lives are ruined yeah poirot come on let's do the right thing live with your imbalance if it's just this once it's fine you know yeah. so i really liked what they did uh yeah. with the ending and the remake totally and even as uh both of us have read the books i was you know it got me back into the story i'm like oh shit what's gonna happen here you know like mm-hmm. It's a great addition because even given everything you know about the subject matter, you don't know what's going to happen here. So for the person that's kind of sitting there and like, this is what's going to happen. That person's that person. You, what happens here? And it, it writes its own story, which, look, given that's, what, at this point, 73 years after the <laughs> book's written, you know, I, I like that they they took their own tale. And even though yeah. it still takes place in an older time, they modernized it and they made it make sense for people today. So uh, pretty well done in terms of the ending. So edge to the remake. For sure. Do you want to talk about the beginnings really quickly? Because we already talked about the beginning a little bit. In the remake. We need to talk about the beginning in the original, just how that starts. Because they are different. Yeah, that, so, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, so just to reiterate, the remake starts off with Poirot just looking for those two perfect eggs before he goes on to solve a crime, which we already pretty much discussed in detail. The original, though, interesting choice with the original, we start with a bunch of headlines yes. about Daisy Armstrong. And then it's just headline after headline with the most dramatic music you could possibly play. Dun! <laughs> Dun! <laughs> like, every fucking time. So, it's a very long uh, introduction in the movie, and... If you're not familiar with the source material at all, you're just gonna be like, "What am I? 
watching yeah. here. This, yeah. It doesn't make sense. And it kind of gives it away because you know, because we spent so much time with this Armstrong case that, well, that's going to come into play somewhere. And so I know that's important. That's not going to just be a random murder on this train. Right. right. So it, it's a little, it's, I didn't like it for a couple reasons. One was because it was so long. And number two is it kind of gives away a big plot point in the movie a little early. And I don't, I don't think that was the right place to, to put in the Armstrong case. I think they should have saved it for later. I think so. I think the remake puts it in a better spot in the movie. Mm-hmm. I'll give the original this that, like, I think the original does a better job of defining the Armstrong case and how important it is. The problem, to your point, is that it's too early. And what else are we going to talk about? What else is this about? <laughs> if you spend four minutes at the beginning of the movie with headlines, recreations, this person getting stabbed, this person, you know, there's so much exposition <laughs> about something that then, like, what is The movie's called Murder on the Orient Express. And you spend the first three minutes, at least, looking at headlines of this like kid murder and you're like <laughs> you're like well like you mentioned this has to be important so like now you're already on high alert what the fuck does this have to do <laughs> with everything else i'm about to see and they don't make it apparent for an hour <laughs> <laughs> what any of that was about it's like oh man that baby murder thing was crazy right Monsieur Poirot, I'm on a train and I don't, I'm on a ferry. I don't feel very well. I'm eating dinner and dinner could be better. <laughs> Sir, $15,000 is not enough. And mm-hmm. like, if you're paying attention, which I think we are, what was that baby thing about? <laughs> Back there, dude. Like, I don't know. You're right. It, it, um, once again, which is why I'm glad I read the book first. Mm-hmm. This is why I don't watch movies like this without reading right. the book. Because I'm like, I, I want to be surprised, man. <laughs> so, um, strange, strange choice. But yeah. at the same time, I feel bad. Because if it was somewhere else, I think I would like it. But at the beginning, I don't, I don't think I like it very much there. Yeah, I didn't like it in the beginning. I didn't like exactly the way they did it. It just... I don't know. It felt like they kept saying something without actually saying something because it was just like the same thing over and over again. Daisy Armstrong's missing. Daisy Armstrong is getting ransomed. Daisy Armstrong is not found. Daisy Armstrong is dead. Which is, it was. I think it was too much information too early. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It just. It was weird. (laughs) Yeah, and I'll say this because the book. You know, I thought about it a little bit, but like watching this original movie. The only thing I was thinking about was the Lindbergh baby, you know, like um, Mm -hmm. I was familiar with that story just from like my schooling education, as it were. And as I was watching, I was like, man, you know, obviously I thought about while I was reading a book, but it was like in this segment, I was like, man, this really feels like that Lindbergh baby thing. Mm -hmm. And it made me think more about like I wasn't even thinking about the movie at that point. I was thinking about the book and it was like in 1934 whenever the book came out for that story that must have been so interesting for all these people who like had this crazy news story about this wild wild ass like ransom that like they don't have the same resource we they don't have television so it's it's newspapers it's telegrams 
And for like Agatha Christie to like take something that was in the zeitgeist like that and then turn it into a book, I was thinking more about the implications of how interesting this must have been for like an audience reading a book than I was thinking about the movie. So that that's a, that's a negative. Yeah, that's, that's not a good thing. We're not thinking about what's happening on the screen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's, that's all I got to say about the intro. Um, Poor choice. Don't re- <laughs> not a good choice. Don't really have much to add. I did want to talk just a little bit about the music. I already mentioned um, the music in the remake a little bit. It was a really somber, slow score, but it was a really emotional piece that plays um, really more towards the end when they're doing the murder and when they're kind of uh, revealing, like, what's going to happen to them. And then, like, I think Michelle Pfeiffer is actually the one singing it over the credits. Wow. So, yeah. I got to rewatch that. Yeah. So, it's it's a really good score. Um, It's not used a lot, but um, it's really good. And I guess it was pretty appropriate for the action sequences too but you know not really too uh interested in music during an action sequence but the original film other than really that uh that opening with the dun (laughs) every time there's not a lot of music in that original film we are just there with dialogue a lot of dialogue and we already talked about how it had a poor flow so not having music really kind of hurt it yeah, and where there is music, you use the word appropriate. I felt that where there was music, it was inappropriate. <laughs> like, there's a murder on the Orient Express, and they're playing like this kind of like upbeat, like the trains leaving the station. Yeah. And I'm like, no. <laughs> Tonally, no. What are we doing right now, man? Yeah, it's like they were just celebrating the fact that a train was leaving the station I, with this like weird celebratory music. So it was, weird. it was odd. Yeah, I do remember that when the train was leaving. I was like, what? Are, what is happening? It just felt so strange. It took me out of it uh, every time it happened because I was like, all right, like you mentioned, you got dumb, dumb, dumb. <laughs> who killed this baby? And then the next thing, it's like, train is leaving the station. Yeah, yeah. Although. Cassetti's dead. The train is leaving. I'm just like, wait, what? Why? Why? I don't know. Like the the remake. To your point, the <clears throat> audio component does what it's supposed to do. Like we mentioned, a good score is actually supposed to disappear. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and you know it helps it helps you know the gravity of the situation, but you're not supposed to harp on the music. I just felt that visually and tonally. It all worked. And I didn't feel that in the original. I felt that, like, right. the visuals and the tone weren't working. I, mm. I didn't quite understand the music. And then, to your point, there's not that much. So then you're left in with a bunch of talking and no, like, ec- like how am I supposed to react to uh, Ingrid Bergman talking about the uh, the backwards children? Like, I, <laughs> is this good? Is this bad? <laughs> I don't know what to... How, how am I supposed to feel? <laughs> yeah, so I just wanted to mention that about the music. Also, oh yeah, also just uh, the style. The remake has a lot of stylistic shots. Yeah. Uh, a lot of interesting shots. I'm just going to talk about a few just because I thought they were pretty cool. Uh, when Poirot first arrives at the at the actual train, it's a really long one shot that kind of follows him outside the train. He sees Mary Debenham. Then he goes into the train, and it's still one continuous, one continuous shot. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was really cool. 
Um, they have a few shots in the yeah. remake that are just one long shot, just like following somebody on the train, or just like some stuff like that. I, I don't really know, but there's a lot of long, <laughs> continuous shots, and I just thought that was really cool to do. And there's the oh, I'm sorry, there's the one long shot um, when the murder is discovered that's overhead. You don't even see Cassetti's body. You just see them kind of like just discussing what like what happened and what they're gonna do. So just a lot of stylized shots in that yeah. remake that I just wanted to throw out there. I'll say this: Kenneth Branagh. Not only does he give us this very eccentric and fun take on Poirot, he's also directing the film. And throughout it, I felt like all of his choices, though bold in a lot of different places, made sense. Like the train was a character mm-hmm. you know like the way the 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 vastness of it it's, it's this big train you got these night shots with the snow and it makes sense that it's going to snow because it looks like a snowy place versus the original which you know look i i understand the limitations and all that they made this just big interesting universe and like you mentioned the shots really work i don't know the music is is in line i just really enjoyed watching this in the stylistic choices was it heavy-handed sure the 12 uh the 12 disciples scene but it was like i got it It was like okay they're doing the last supper um 12 is an important number in this movie and to make that connection which wasn't really in the book uh you know at least not explicitly it was like okay all right this guy's thinking outside the box and i think that he really appreciated the source material and he treated it Mm -hmm. with a lot of respect and care while making choices that I think, you know, these are the nat- the natural sins we need to make when we're making a movie. And he, he leaned into it and said, you know what? Not everyone's going to like this, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to make this my own. And the story felt new and fresh, you mm-hmm. know, in this in this way that a, a book from 1930s should not feel like we're breaking new ground. And I felt like it right. felt like that at times. And I appreciated what he was doing mm-hmm. really well. All right. Really well done. I mean, sounds like we're there, Reggie. Mm. Are we there? <laughs> I think we're there. We're there. All right, here we go. Reggie, should the remake of Murder on the Orient Express exist? The remake of Murder on the Orient Express should exist, and here's my rationale. You're taking classic literature, and you're saying, I'm going to make the bold choice of changing it. And you know you're going to get the flame wars it's the same thing like if you mess with star wars we do this a lot like um even with franchise like star wars where we're, we're so precious with the source material and kenneth Branagh, he made the very bold and smart choice to just change it just i'm just gonna change it but i'm i'm gonna make it concise so that you understand why i made these changes i'm gonna make this character black because in 2017 it's going to be so much easier to just make him black than mm. try to explain all this Italian shit. Like, you mm. know, let's not waste time. You know the story. I know the story. Here's my take on it. And if more of our remakes just did that, right or wrong, I think that we would find some, uh, some common ground. I, I often find that with your reviews of these that you said, what did the remake do that was different than the original? And this remake shows you what it did different. And it does it often. It does it well, and there's a few hitches that I want to complain about, mm-hmm. but I can't because it's 
it's its own thing, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm harping on whether or not a guy did karate at one point. <laughs> but what you know what I'm not worried about? I'm not worried about the Perot portrayal. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about the Ratchet portrayal. I'm not worried about how they interpreted the um the story. I knew what the fuck was going to happen, and I was still surprised. <laughs> Look, man, this was a very, very well done remake. I'm not going to put it in like the pantheon of like masterpieces or anything like that. This is a great remake. They mm-hmm. they did it all right, and I can't complain. So well done, and uh, <laughs> it was a good movie. <laughs> I'm gonna just go ahead and say I wholeheartedly agree with you, Reggie. This is a fantastic remake. I had so much fun watching it. Um, you know, we both read the book. And it's not necessarily an easy one to put on the screen. It does have some pacing issues, that book, because we are interviewing so many people and then we're interviewing them again, you know. So just to consolidate that in the remake, just to have much better flow, you know, you can't just translate what's in the book to the screen. The the original kind of did that. The the original has some flow issues. The remake's like, no, we'll just do it in one interview and Poirot will solve it right there. It's like, okay, yeah, I like that. <laughs> That's a lot more interesting to me than Poirot dwelling on it for 20 minutes, coming back to it later. You know, let's let's just get shit moving. Mm-hmm. So I think, like you said, it's a bold move on Kenneth Branagh to do that, but it works because it's a movie. I, I need shit to move. I can't <laughs> right. be, you know, like left in suspense like I can in a book. It just won't work. So, you know, just having a much better flow... Um, I like I like his portrayal of Poirot a lot more so uh, than the original. It's so much a much more charming, a much more warmer portrayal, and I, I can't wait for his next adventure. We didn't mention this, but the remake ends with a little teaser of Murder on the Nile. I I'm on board, dude. Put me there. I'm I'm on the I want to go on that Nile trip because uh, it's gonna be fun. If it's just if it's half as fun as this original, or if it's half as fun as the remake was, then all right, I'm, I'm all aboard, man. So it's going to be really fun to watch that. And it was really fun to watch the remake. And, you know, a little unfair because I did watch the remake first. So going from that, like, well thought out, excellent flow, great portrayals to this original, which is a lot slower, has a lot of issues. I wasn't exactly blown away by too many of the portrayals there. You know, it's it's serviceable to the source material for sure, but... Just uh, you know, we modernize it. We make it for a more modern day, o- modern day audience, and that's absolutely what the remake did. It definitely comes into its own, so absolutely should exist. Yeah, yeah. And look, this not to detract from the original because here's what I like about the original: what a cast, an ensemble mm-hmm. cast. Right. Um, I think that many of them do what they need to do well. But to your point, the book—it's a great book. But you can't do that book in a movie. I mean, I guess they did, and people won Oscars, and that's fine. Like it, it, it wasn't a bad movie at all. Like it just, uh, there was some moments where it was like, hmm, you know, they probably should have just like mashed it up because uh, you get an almost equivalent runtime. The original's longer, but mm-hmm. I don't know. That remake felt like it just zipped along, even though it was almost two hours long. I, I just really, really enjoyed that he took some some risk and he took some big shots and yeah if they do murder on the now you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna read murder on the now and i'm gonna go watch that movie oh uh, reading it right now dude nice <laughs> nice definitely now okay there it is so i'm gonna read definitely now not murder on the now. <laughs> yeah at the end of the book uh I, I read it on kindle at the end of the book they had an excerpt from definitely now i didn't get into because i didn't have time 
Um, but now I'm going to read it because I know this other movie is going to come out. So that's awesome. And I'm a purist, by the way. I think you've learned that about me from this time. I generally don't like when you mess with stuff. But when you do it with intention and when you do it for real reason and it works, I'm not going to stop. Like, yeah, it's a movie. It's not a mm-hmm. book. So thank you. Well done. Yeah, I'm a purist so much like if it worked in the original source material, why are you changing it? Sure. If it if it's going to work better uh, and that's why you're changing it, then I'm okay with it. And I think that he changed things for the better, ultimately. Not just changing shit because, oh, I think uh, I think I want to see it like this. I don't know if it's going to make the story any better, but right. I just think I just want to make this little stupid change. He yeah. didn't just do those changes in this remake. He definitely, um, I don't know, just improved on that original film. It's just so much. It's the flow. I can't emphasize the flow. It is so slow, that original film. It, it is. It is such a blessing to have this remake with the much better flow. It is. I mean, even even the small things. I mean, the ferry ride at the beginning of the original. Why are we spending so much time with Poirot, like, kind of sick? Why are we spending so much time with Poirot at the restaurant? Why are we spending so much time with Poirot, even with Cassetti? It's like, get to, you know what I mean? Like, let's, mm-hmm. let's go. And um, here's the other thing that we're not talking about. I don't like in the original that it's a white kimono. It's supposed to be red. <laughs> it's a red it's okay. kimono. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's what we thought of the movies. What did you guys think? Did you agree with us? Did you disagree with us? Did you? Uh, anybody else read the book out there? Which one do you prefer? I mean, I definitely like that remake. It's, it's so good. I, so I got a feeling that... Uh, this is going to be a lot like the, the Manhunter Red Dragon conversation because we've been getting a lot of comments on uh, <laughs> these two films. I think we're going to get a lot of comments on this because uh, people like to read and we're all very precious with the things that we like. So I'm interested to hear uh, other people's opinions about this. Yeah. All right. So other than that, let's think about what we're going to do next. I kind of picked this one. So if you want to pick the next one. I mean, I have a suggestion, but I don't know. No, what do you got? Just while you think about it. Just changing it up a little bit. Go for something a little lighter. A little bit of Footloose. Yo. <laughs> what? Are you... Yeah? Are you serious? I was I, thinking Footloose, man. Let me tell you something. I know you were trying to get me to suggest one. That is the greatest suggestion <laughs> I've ever heard. I've got so many opinions... about this subject matter that yes a thousand times yes let's do footloose footloose we have the 1984 and the 2011 films all right it's time to cut loose reggie footloose i'm I'm talking loose footloose kick off your sunday shoes jeez louise whoa my low (laughs) okay that's enough um so i guess we're watching footloose Change it up, man. <laughs> All right, cool. This is this is quite the departure. You're, you're <laughs> you are two for two uh, <laughs> in recent memory. All right, yeah, I like it, man. Uh, let's watch Footloose. Cool. All right, great. Well, thanks for everybody for listening, watching. You know, uh, if you're leaving watching this on YouTube, you know, definitely leave us a comment. We love uh, talking with you guys. If you're listening to this on iTunes, if you can give us a five star review or leave us a nice comment, we'd appreciate that. We're also on Spotify, Google Play, and we're also on the social medias everywhere at Retro vs. Remake, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. 
Check those out if you haven't already. I'm Reggie Parker at RP Comedy. Let me tell you something. I think we're really starting to get this format, Dan. Like, uh, <laughs> this movie, I got the the wind in my sails, and we're going right into to Footloose. It's <laughs> probably an allegory of sorts, I imagine. Uh, so thank you for listening. Thank you for commenting. It's it's uh, it's keeping us going. You know, like when I when I see the comments and we're having like real discussions about good films, it, it's it makes it all worth it. Yeah. Was, yeah. All right. Well, I'm Dan Bulick. I'm Reggie Parker. And this has been another episode of Retro, Retro versus, versus Remake. Remake. Oh boy, that didn't sound sick to me at all. That oh, sounded wow. terrible. That's all right. That's what we do. Mm-hmm.